Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sophia. And I'm Zoe. And welcome to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're spontaneously getting off a train in Vienna, Austria. We'll spend the night with Jesse and Celine as they talk about love, art, philosophy, palm readers, poets, and pantomime cows. And we'll explore the work of Richard Linklater, one of the defining independent directors of Generation X, as we talk about his 1995 cult romance, Before Sunrise. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. So today, we have the pleasure of introducing a new guest host, Zoe Roten-Heinzman. I met Zoe while living in Portland, Oregon in the mid-2000s, and Zoe currently has some really cool, interesting projects going on. Zoe is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Monadnock Underground, a small, independent publisher and literary magazine in southern New Hampshire. Their projects include the just-released This Is Not Ordinary Time, about spiritual searching and the desire for community during times of upheaval, anthologies of mostly local speculative fiction and spiritual writing, and a sporadic podcast of their own, Underground Over the Air. She rounds out her days embarking on homeschool adventures with her kids, working as a religious educator, learning Tai Chi, and tending her fruit trees and chickens. Welcome to Every Rom-Com, Zoe. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Wow, what fruit trees can you grow in New Hampshire? We we grow a lot of things. I have uh, I've had my best success with peaches. Actually, I think of them huh. as a more southern fruit. I'm from yeah. the south, uh, so I'm really really happy that I can grow super ripe fresh peaches here. What I what? can't grow is apples, even though we're like known for apples. I can't grow one. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I wish you could see my face. I'm like, wow, peaches. <laughs> and then yeah, the apple thing wild good for you that's so cool thanks like just that you grow things like i have a garden but i, I like kind of just let them all grow wild and and like never pick things or if i do <laughs> i don't trim them down or i don't know i keep um monarchs when when they lay eggs so oh that's nice yeah but, that's, so that's like the secret of of growing fruit though is that you really it's like you go dig a hole and then you like plant and water them and then you don't have to do a whole lot else. So it sounds really cool and it seems really fancy, but it's because I'm too lazy to grow vegetables. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So I, Zoe, I kind of like, I've been seeing your project, your, um, Monadnock underground. Like I've been seeing it on Facebook for a while, but like, when did you actually start that? Like, and what made you start it? That's a really great question. So my co-founder, Chris, and I were doing, we were involved in political work together. And like, it was two years ago, January, he messages me out of the blue. And he's like, I have a really bad idea. Do you want to hear it? And I'm like, definitely. And he's like, we should start a medium public, like on Uh, Mm medium.com. We should start a a publication on medium. And like, we can like gather all of our writer friends. Because a lot of us were kind of spontaneously challenging each other to to put our writing out there i had just put oh. out probably the first public piece well like ever maybe i mean mm-hmm. i don't think like 
the anthology of like American poetry that they get you to do when you're like in elementary school <laughs> and you send in your 10 bucks mm-hmm. and then you get or, a book with your or don't forget it. our zine Zoe <laughs> oh yeah was that yeah, public does that count as public I'm not I sure I mean <laughs> I left some in cafes so they were okay. somebody <laughs> yes so my first public writing since the zine days yeah um and he's like, let's just, we could just gather them together and like give it a name and like, you know, encourage each other to write that way. And it kind of has just taken on its own life from there. It's like it just mm. needed to come into existence. And at first, we started out doing um, quarterly print issues. And we did two of those and they did really well. We totally sold out of the second one. Our local library started like throwing wow. release parties for us. And the la- like the second issue came out on like March 17th, 2020. I don't know if that date feels familiar <laughs> to you because to me, it was like the last thing that anyone did before yeah. we weren't allowed to do anything anymore. Sure. <laughs> and so during the pandemic, it's we've focused more on putting out um, collections that are not quarterly, more themed collections of various types of fiction. We've got a crime Crimes and Spies, one coming out uh, next month. (laughs) So great. Yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. And it's like we're encouraging people to just put their stuff out there. We're We're giving people a home for their writing. And that feels really awesome. I think three different people that I know of for sure have finished books because of us. Oh, wow. Either like because of our direct encouragement or because they're on the, the future publication schedule. That's a really awesome feeling to just Pretty be able sure. to spark people's creativity in that way. And that's really what the mission of the whole thing is. And do you have any plans for the future or do you just see it like continuing to grow organically or like? I Yeah, I think that this is the type of project that every time we've tried to put our own ideas on it, it's just pushed itself in its own direction so I mean the plans for the future we like when I say this book this is not ordinary time was just released I mean literally Chris got the box of them on Thursday so that you know no one even has a copy of it yet although we did some pre-sales so that just came out then we've got the crimes and spies book the next month and then we've got a book of like gonzo road tales that a friend of (laughs) ours finished that's coming out this year and We've already we're starting to get book sim- submissions for things that we were interested in publishing next year. So it's kind of nice. It's just kind of yeah, stacking up in exciting ways. I just want to say it's so exciting, so cool. It is exciting. It's like never ending excitement. Okay, so you can find Zoe's work and her collaborators' work at www.monadnockunderground.com and. Since you might not know how to spell that, we will include a link in the show notes. And they also have a Facebook page, too, that you can seek out. And yeah, anything else you want to say about um, your project or anything before we begin? Just we're always accepting submissions. We do a lot of publication online for things that don't necessarily make it into print. But that's, you know, that's a way in. We're almost always accepting submissions for just whatever you want to send that might make it mm-hmm. online. Might We might save it for a future print project. But yeah. Thanks. Very cool. Before we get started with Before Sunrise, we just want to give a few reminders. The first section of our show will be spoiler-free, and we'll give you a warning when we're about to discuss spoilers. And we will not be spoiling before sunset or before midnight in the spoiler section either. So don't worry if you've never have seen them and you've only seen the first film. 
And we'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom, and our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Now we'll hear part of the trailer for Before Sunrise. All right, I have an admittedly insane idea, but if I don't ask you this, it's just going to haunt me the rest of my life. I have no idea what your situation is, but I feel like we have some kind of uh, connection, right? Yeah, me too. Great. So listen, here's the deal. This is what we should do. You should get off the train with me here in Vienna. Come check out the town. We just got into Vienna today, and we're looking for something fun to do. Sprechen English? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, do you speak German for a change? Now I'm going to call my best friend in Paris, who I'm supposed to have lunch with in eight hours. Okay? Okay. Ring, ring. Pick up the phone. Uh, oh, hello? I don't think I'm going to be able to make it for lunch today. I'm sorry. I met a guy on the train, and I got off with him in Vienna. We're still there. Are you crazy? Probably. He has beautiful blue eyes, nice pink lips, frizzy hair. <laughs> I love it. I like to feel his eyes on me when I look away. You couldn't possibly know why a night like this is so important to my life right now. But it is. Since we're never going to see each other again, I don't think we should sleep together. Let's see each other again. I don't want you to break our vow. Just so you can get laid. <laughs> I can feel it's the 90s. I can yeah. feel the night for sure. I can feel the nineties <laughs> coursing through my veins listening to that music, which I don't believe was in the film. It's never in the film. The music in the trailer, never in the film. It's like a rule. And you're Not right, it is all her. It is all her in the the speaking, isn't it? That's interesting. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. And she was not the more famous or marketable star at the time. Like Ethan Hawk was like big. For sure. Yeah, for sure. You're right. Weird. Hmm. Any more about the trailer? Or do you want to start introducing the movie? Uh let's get into the movie. Before Sunrise came out in 1995. Um, I was a junior in high school. <laughs> I was like 16, 17 years old. Directed by Richard Linklater, also written by him and Kim Krizan, starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Interesting facts about this film. It was made for $2.5 million and grossed $5.5 million. Um, and it didn't make much, but it became the cult classic that we love. Ah. Um, initially, there were plans to shoot cheaply in San Antonio, Texas at the time. Lily Taylor was under consideration for the female lead. That blows my mind. All of these people blow my mind. Next, uh-huh. um, Sadie Frost who played Lucy in Bram Stoker's Dracula um, was one of the final two candidates for the female lead also in consideration or who auditioned um, Gwyneth Paltrow and Jennifer Aniston, which is crazy (laughs) to me, man, any one of those four ladies would have been a completely different film. Um, I think the Lily Taylor version would have been interesting, but yeah, I think filming it in Europe just made it a totally different other thing, which was cool. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so it was, they uh, had a three week intensive workshop in Vienna before filming, and they filmed in 25 days. 
So Before Sunrise is the first of a trilogy, followed by Before Sunset, which came out in 2004, and Before Midnight, which came out in 2013. And the whole trilogy has been released by Criterion Collection. And I own it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I have them too individually, like as they came out. Um, There's sporadic talk of making more movies with the same characters, but there's no immediate plans to make more. Yeah, I would like to see more. What about you guys? Well, Zoe, have you still not seen the second two? Is that I have not. I've only seen this one. No, I love it. I love it. You have a very (laughs) different perspective. I love it. But yeah. um, But so, so, Sophia, would you like to see more, or are you indifferent? Do you think it's perfect the way it is? I would. What do you? I totally would. Like I, I without spoiling it. (laughs) I know. I just love these characters. So like. I don't know if it just from when it came out and that age for me when it came out and just, I don't know, but I have like such a like love affair, if you will, with this whole series and these characters and, and just perhaps what these actors and, and link ladder and just symbolize from, you know, that time period that I love so much. Did you see it when it came out? I was 10. I I only <laughs> saw it like last year. Last year? Really? Yeah, oh, wow. Really. So what were, I was like 17. I didn't see it in the theaters. Jen, did you? Um, I don't think I saw it in the theaters. I don't think it had a very wide release, but I right. definitely saw it on, I definitely saw it on video soon after it came out if I didn't see it in theaters, you know? Right. I remember sure. seeing it at that age. Yeah. And what did you wow. think about it at the time, Soph? Like, Oh, I mean, I loved it. Well, because, I mean, I loved Reality Bites for sure, you know, and I was so already Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I just am disgusted with myself how every time I see his picture, I just am like, oh, Ethan. <laughs> and, like, and I'm like, because I, I just instantly go back to being 17 and it's, I don't know ridiculous i like i'm disgusted with myself for that but i'm also like come on that's all right (laughs) i mean he's a he's a pretty good one like he's aged well too so i don't think you should be ashamed (laughs) i think he's cuter older actually i think his older self is cuter but Uh, i mean just ethan through the years i don't Um, even remember what was your impression jen yeah i was about to say i don't remember like liking it that much when i saw it and i think for me it was because I also loved Reality Bites and I didn't like at the time I didn't like this movie as well and also I had this like I had seen Richard Linklater's like early not I didn't like Days and Confused much either to be honest but I liked Slacker a lot like his first um big indie breakout and like I just liked Slacker was weirder and before sunrise it was like taking all the weirdness and putting it into like a pretty package in my uh... very pretentious opinion at that age <laughs> because like i like before sunrise better now than i did when i was younger put it that way like and yeah and i think also like i had this unfair opinion of julie delpy at the time which is weird because i was like i was like oh she's just this pretty girl and of course he falls in love with her and i was a pretty girl at that age too and i don't know why i was like hating on other pretty girls but like (laughs) i think it was more like the idea of dudes always going for like super idealized pretty girls like he calls her like a botticelli angel at one point in the movie and i'm like I don't know. I think I might have liked at that age the Lily Taylor version better, where it's just kind of a more normal looking girl 
Like, you know, cause that's like more like real life. But since I know more about Julie Delpy over the years, like I have a lot more respect for her and we'll talk, we're going to talk about um, Linkladder today, but we're going to talk about Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke, their careers next time. And man, there's a lot to know about Julie Delpy. So definitely tune in next week as well for that. I, um, you know, I remember you really liking Slackers and I think I tried, started watching it and it's the weirdness that I didn't like and I never <laughs> finished it I still have never seen it but I love Dazed and Confused as well I think that Ugh, I didn't like it still yeah. now even no I don't like it still yeah. I, oh man a funny I, thing Jen, Jen I watched part of Slacker also didn't finish it but it was on your bed in the Portland house where we where we lived together yeah you were like you should watch this movie while I'm at work you'll like it and I was like I don't think this is for me. I would like to try again, <laughs> but I didn't finish it either. Well, it's, it's on YouTube right now. You can watch it for free on YouTube. The whole film. It's How just do you there. Like that? I might and try got, it. I still have my VHS tape of that. I still have <laughs> it. Like, yeah, that's, so. that's the one. That's the one I watched part of. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I love that. So Zoe, like seeing it last year, what made you see the movie and what was your impression of it? So, I'm really bad at watching movies and the longer people get to know me, the more like the longer their list of movies that it's ridiculous that Zoe hasn't seen gets. Um, Cause I love movies. I love good movies. I just don't, I've never for some reason made it like a priority to watch movies and I have not a whole lot of spare time, I guess. <laughs> and a movie yeah. feels like a big commitment sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I know what happened. I saw boyhood which is mm-hmm. one of Richard yeah. Linklater's more recent yeah. films. And I absolutely love that movie. And someone told me, it was probably Chris, my Monadnock Underground partner, who was like, you should definitely watch the Before series. And so I'm, I've started. I watched one. I loved uh-huh. it. I loved it. I really want to see the other ones. There's no reason that I've only seen the first one other than that's how I am with movies. So okay. like I, like I mentioned before, we're not going to um, do the whole cast and crew like we all usually do. We're just going to cover today the director and writers of Before Sunrise. So the director we've just been talking about, Richard Linklater. And before this movie, before Before Sunrise, he had five directing credits, some of them for smaller things. Uh, the ones that were well known were Slacker, which came out in 1990 and Dazed and Confused in 1993. After doing Before Sunrise, he co-wrote and directed the sequels Before Sunset and Before Midnight. And he, Richard Linklater has 32 directing credits in total. Some of the other things he's known for are Waking Life, Fast Food Nation, School of Rock, and Boyhood that Zoe brought up. And he also writes or co-writes most of his movies. He has 23 writing credits. And he's gotten several Oscar nominations, but no wins. Um, nominated for the script for Before Sunset and Before Midnight. And then Boyhood was nominated for Screenplay Director and Picture. And recently he did Where'd You Go Bernadette with Kate Blanchett in 2019. And so right now he's on post-production on something called Apollo 10 and a Half, which is supposedly a coming-of-age story set in Texas in 1969. And he's filming um, Merrily We Roll Along, which it says is about a composer who moves from New York to L.A. So, I mean, he does some very dissimilar stories, I would say. And he's worked with Ethan Hawke on a number of films outside the Before Universe, including Boyhood, Fast Food Nation, and The Newton Boys. And I think we, we kind of already talked about which other Linkletter films you're fans of. I would say for me, the Before series is my favorite other than Slacker. I still love Slacker. Whatever. <laughs> Maybe it's an acquired taste. I don't know. But Jen, did you remember going to see Fast Food Nation in the theater in Portland? 
Oh, did we see that together? We did, yeah. I was so annoyed by that movie. I, I, I really did not like it. I, I actually totally forgot that it was this director because I, I oh, just yeah, remembered yeah. it being really bad. And like <laughs> A- Avril Lavigne was like talking about res- like freeing cows or something. Is that like, that's what I remember. It was really dumb. <laughs> I, I remember freeing cows yeah. in a really ridiculous way. That's my yeah. lasting impression of that movie. And like the book is like a nonfiction, like pretty serious book. And they just made these weird yeah, fictional things happen. It was, yeah, it should not have been made into a movie. It should have been a documentary if anything. Sorry, Richard I- Linklater. Uh, I love School of Rock. I think that's great and funny. And, you know, okay, I did see the Newton Boys. And I, the only reason why I remember, I think it's the film I watched while I was packing up my room before I moved to New York. But other than that, I don't remember any part of that film. (laughs) Like, there was no lasting anything about that movie. That's my take on the Newton Boys. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't think it will hurt you if you watch it, but um, I, I didn't remember it. And how about Boyhood? Have you seen that, Sophia? Zoe's no, seen it. No, but... it's not yet. It's still on my yeah. list. Like I, yeah, You don't need yeah. to worry about it. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Like There are films that I know I'm going to just love and be deeply moved by. Um, Boyhood didn't do much for me, to be honest. So Really? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I mean, maybe if, maybe if I watched it again. I don't know. Some movies you need to watch more than once, I think. Well, Boyhood was so similar to certain parts of my childhood. I actually no. had to stop it and call my brother in the middle oh, wow. of it because it was like blowing my mind how like he had just hit this, you know, like reality of our childhood. Hmm. Wow. That's awesome. Well, and just the the feat of it. Yet over how many years was this film made? You know, that like these actors committed to meeting up once a year or whatever to film a little bit as this boy ages, how they all age. That's amazing. Like artistically brilliant, you know, and same thing with the before series. Like these are years and years apart. And um, that alone is just very cool and unique um, amongst storytelling through film, you know? Yeah, like Linklater has like very unique techniques. And like, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that related to the writing too. Okay. Um, so it was written by, officially written by Richard Linklater and Kim Krizan. And um, it gets a little complicated. We'll get to that. So I want to talk about Krizan. So she appeared in some of Linklater's films, including Slacker and Dazed and Confused in small roles. And Linklater ended up approaching her to co write after reading her master's thesis. So he and Krizan worked on the initial screenplay together over 11 days, but then it was always meant to be in Linklater's mind, like a process where he'd then take it to the actors and let them add their own, you know, words, ideas, touches to the screenplay. And based on what I've seen in in her interview, it seemed like Krizan was not super happy about that. And she's not in the special features on Before Sunrise, like they don't even mention her. So yeah, it's a little, it might, there might be some tension there. I don't know. Cause then Richard Linklater took the screenplay to Hawk and Delpy. They changed a lot of things uh, to make it feel personal to them. So they were doing rewrites throughout the filming. There was an interview, I think it was in the New York times. I'll put the, in the show notes, the link. They were up until 3am rewriting the night before shooting the final scene. And they filmed it in sequential order, I guess, too, which doesn't always happen at all. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. And so there's two different story origin stories about the movie, too. And to me, it seems like they're both true. You know what I mean? So Richard Linklater says the story came to him because he met 
a woman working in a toy shop in Philadelphia, and they spontaneously walked around together all night in Philadelphia. And then Kim Krizan says that the film was really inspired by her experiences forming short relationships or having interesting conversations on trains in Europe and a time that she spent with a Norwegian man in Paris before he got back on his train. So to me, it seems like both of those stories are true. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like ideas feeding into each other. But Krizan has a little bit been cut out of the things since then. Um, she has story and character credits on Sunset and Midnight, but no like screenwriter credit. So that's a little different. Um, she says she wrote an early draft of Sunset, but like in the special features on Sunrise, uh, Linklater and Delpy and Hawk talk about initiating the process of writing before Sunset together. Like they mm. don't mention Cruzanne. <laughs> so mm. it's kind of, yeah. And, but Cruzanne's really interesting in her own right. She's, this is close to my heart. She's an Anais Nin scholar. And she wrote a book called Spy in the House of Anais Nin, which is an academic, you know, overview about Anais Nin. She also writes graphic novels. So she's an interesting person. I'm putting in the show notes um, a link to an interview that she did on a podcast called Popcorn Talk, where she talks a little bit about her experiences on this movie and more. But yeah, it, it does seem like it's like slightly fraught between the original creators, although I can't say for sure because I don't know them. Yeah, right. Yeah. I saw that bit about her being a scholar of Nin, and I'm like, Jen's freaking out right now, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not as into Anais Nin as I used to be, but like when I was around that age, when I was in my 20s, yeah. oh my God, I was like, I had all her books. Like, so yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So cool. um, we already kind of talked about our opinions about the movie. So I wanted to really talk about Before Sunrise as one of the definitive Gen X movies. Like, I, I was, I remember we're, Lee and I were watching it together. We watch all the movies for the podcast together. And there was this one scene there in a club listening to this like grunge music. And I'm like, let's go on vacation to Europe in the 90s. And Lee just said to me, let's just go on vacation to the 90s. <laughs> like, there's just like, yearn- <laughs> there's a kind of a yearning in both of us to like recapture what yeah. it felt like to live in the 90s. My brother will sometimes express the same thing. Like, there's this, just a certain something about that decade for us. And like, I think the before the internetness of it all, too, which we'll for also sure. talk about that later. Yeah. But like, I was curious, like, what makes a Gen X film to you guys or a Gen X rom com? Like, what would that constitute? I'm not a Gen Xer. I'm an elder millennial. Yeah. Um, but I but I've been thinking a lot about like what makes something a Gen X thing versus a millennial thing. This was a it was a writing prompt actually recently that someone oh, else had given me. So it's kind of been on my mind lately. And I the word that you said I mean, you said yearning to be in the nineties, but I also think that yearning might be a quality of hmm. that era, just like earnestness and, and yearning for, <laughs> for something, you know, um, that I feel like might be missing now. Hmm. So uh, for you got, what do you think I makes mean, things Gen uh, X? Gosh, I, I mean, I just, it, it's high school. So it's like, well, what makes high school then different than high school now? Like, is there anything like if you looked at a product ooh. in like a movie or something and you're like, that's Gen Shoot. X, like we didn't have email. There was no email. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get an email address till I was in college. You know, um, no cell. So phones, the absence no of technology, of yeah, vastly. Yeah, shoot. I mean, it was we were renting movies from Goldmine Video, and yeah. um, and like I remember when like DVDs started showing up there. That was <laughs> yeah. huge. Um, the sound, the music, that grungy music, mm. and flannel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is huge. Um. 
it's got to be that technology thing, man. It really, uh, whether I was conscious of it or not, or whether I would initially say that, I think that's a big, that's a real big deal. It's yeah. a real big deal. No Facebook, yeah. none of that. Oh my gosh. How did we do it? <laughs> oh no, I liked it better. Like there, yeah. I, if I like, honestly, like there are things I do like about having technology, but like yeah. if I could go back to that time, I probably would. So for me, I was thinking about, I've been thinking about doing a Gen X series of rom-coms for our show at some point in the future. And so yeah. I was thinking to myself, like, how would I choose, like, what is a Gen X rom-com? And some, for me, I was thinking about some of the experimental ways of people were starting to make films. Like, obviously Tarantino mm. isn't rom-com, but like mm. the, the different ways of, of experimenting with time in film, like, and mm. Linklater's doing that himself. Like in Slacker, it was like one person's conversation leading to the next, which is not original in and of itself. I mean, this was something you saw in like European plays, like, uh, La Ronde, which got made into the Blue Room later. But like, just like having this more in mainstream film where you're having these experiments with time, um, reality TV showing up, that was a big thing. And, and, and Jesse ends up talking about that. I have a clip of that yeah. that I'll play in a little bit and just like talking, referencing pop culture, getting kind of meta. Um, like, mm. yeah, you might be onto something with the yearning, Zoe. I hadn't thought about that before. I just assumed everybody was yearning all the time and being nostalgic and shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, I guess. So, I agree. Isn't everybody yearning? So for I them? guess. <laughs> To to be a little more specific, I mean, maybe everybody's yearning for something, but I think that okay, I'm we're, I'm like hashing this idea out right right here yeah, and now, so I, I don't that. know. But like what you're saying about, you, I mean, you're specifically talking about what makes a Gen X film, and I yeah. I was try I was like distilling it more down to like what is Gen X ness, right? But yeah, I think that the whole idea of like experimenting. That's really important because right now, if you look at the movies that are being made, it's like we're stuck in this like infinite time loop of like, you know, reboots and part twos. And it's like, where, Girl. What, what is like the newness that we're reaching for now? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Ooh. It feels like a lot of a lot of doors feel more closed in and like maybe Gen X was still was still trying to reach for something new just out of their grasp or something. And, and we've all given up by now. That's very, that's very oh, cynical. No. But <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling very emotional today. I might cry. Like, oh, oh my no. god, right? Like, I'm so sick of the reboots. How many freaking Batman's and Spider Man's? Like, swear to God, like, can you? Well, I mean, that's more the nature of comics thought. itself, though. Comics are always rebooting themselves too. So I, I'll defend that <sighs> in true. Lee's honor, in Lee's for Lee's sake. <laughs> I mean, I love a comic book too. I, I, but like, uh, an, enough. Of, yeah, what is new? Zoe, you're brilliant. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> listeners, if you have a different opinion about that, if you can tell us what some experiments today are, please, like, write in feedback at everyromcom.com. We'd like to hear that. Would love but, um, to. Yeah. So I just, uh, other things about this movie I had, Ethan Hawke was, like, the one of the big Gen X guys, courtesy of Reality Bites, which might be the most Gen X movie ever made. I mean, it's in the contention anyway. Um, it also references reality TV. Like, there's a character yeah. working on a documentary of her friends in real time. And I think there's definitely this generational rebellion theme in the movie, like, um, Celine talks at one point about how all her dream jobs were turned into career paths by her parents. Mm. Uh, like, I, I think like there was definitely this anti-careerist, anti-ambition kind of theme that goes through Gen X movies. There's usually someone who's a slacker or an artist, like not following the traditional ways. I think that's a key ingredient you need. And like philosophical conversations, my God, like I've, everywhere, all the time. 
And yeah. one thing in this movie, I really got a kick out of like the fashion too, even though they're wearing the same outfits the whole time in different configurations, I got a kick out of Ethan Hawke. This is what he said to the New York times. He's wearing this turtleneck in the movie, which I thought was so Gen X. And he's like, my stepfather had given me this burgundy turtleneck and I was in love with it. I don't know why. And then I just immediately regretted it because it was really hot. What idiot thinks they look good in a turtleneck in summer in Vienna? Fantastic. <laughs> Somebody in that. the 90s because no one it. wears turtlenecks now either, I don't think. <laughs> I mean, some people do, but it's it was a thing. It was definitely like he, his whole outfit, the the Chuck Taylors, like the, the goatee, you mm-hmm. know, the yeah. slightly long hair. The whole thing was just perfection right and she's got the fucking like slip dress over a t-shirt look going on and the flannel around her waist i mean like i will tell you we loved this film this one of my dearest friends and i love this film so much that when she did her study abroad in in europe right um she had an outfit like that like she specifically like was doing that outfit reminiscent of the film and look i'm in europe now and yeah Uh (laughs) uh-huh that's amazing (laughs) i love it So I want to play, um, like I mentioned before, like there's a reference to reality TV and different ways of storytelling. And I just wanted to play really quick the clip of Jesse explaining his cable access show idea to Celine, which that's another great. I don't even know if cable access is really a thing anymore, but here we go. It it definitely is. No, it is is? a thing. Yeah. (laughs) I have this idea. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. For a television show. Some friends of mine are these cable access producers. Do you know what that is? Cable access. Um, I don't know. Anybody can produce a show real cheap and they have to put it on, right? Mm-hmm. And I have this idea for this show that would last 24 hours a day for a year straight, right? What you do is you get uh, 365 people from uh, cities all over the world to do these 24-hour documents of real time. Right, capturing life as it's lived. Um, you know, it would start with uh, a guy waking up in the morning and uh, you know taking a long shower, um, eating a little breakfast, making a little coffee, you know, and uh, reading the paper. Wait, wait! All this mundane, boring thing everybody has to do every day of their fucking life. <laughs> well, I was going to say the poetry of day-to-day life, but you know, you <laughs> say the way you say it, I'll say the way I say it. I like that. But no, listen, think about it like Who's this. Who's going to want to watch this? Well, all right, think about it like this. Why is it that a dog? You know, sleeping in the sun is so beautiful. You know, it is. It's beautiful. You know, but a guy standing in a bank machine trying to take some money out looks like a complete moron. <laughs> so it's like a National Geographic program, but on people. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I can, I can, I can see it. Like 24 boring hours, sorry, and like a three-minute sex scene where he falls asleep right after. No. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I mean, that would be a great episode. Yeah. People would talk about that episode. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you and your friends could do one in Paris if you wanted to. I mean, sure. I don't know. The key, the key, the thing that kind of haunts me is, uh, is the distribution. You know, I mean, getting these tapes from town to town, city to city, so that it would play continuously because it'd have to play all the time, or else it just wouldn't work. Dude, that seems so prophetic now. Like, although, like, Link Ladder's vision of this is like this uncontrolled, like, unedited, like, purity, where where it's become like things edited and manipulated 
so that we think we're watching real life, but we're really just mm. watching oh, this gosh, dramatization yeah. of real life, right? I've watched mm-hmm. a lot of reality shows, like not some of the more like, you know, exploitive ones. Like I've never watched like the Kardashians or anything like that. <laughs> but like I watch like Terrace House from Japan or like, what else? I don't know. Have you guys watched reality shows much? Like, w- did you watch the real world back in the day or any of that? Or Sure. Did, yeah. yeah. Love the real world. Um, do I watch reality now? No, not like like the Housewives or the Bachelor or anything. No, I don't yeah. get into those. No, just like those um, shows that like uh, go into people's home, like the tidying up shows. <laughs> yeah, the that's tidying like up a, and the org shows. Like. And that's be kind of become a different genre of reality show where it's like there's a purpose or a competition or you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Gen X was right on the cusp of this. And I find it also hilarious that he's like, the hard part would be distributing all the tapes. And I'm like, well, have I got news for you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, like, so someone recommended Terrace House to us because my family is learning Japanese. Nice. And so we watched an episode or two, but, and it had been a long time since I had seen that Mm -hmm. kind of reality show as opposed Mm -hmm. to like a, a cleaning or whatever. And it just, it's like, they all know it. There's no, it feels like it's completely extra fake because like now everybody (laughs) knows what a reality show is and what you're doing. And like, you're playing a character in a different feeling kind of way. And I, I could be wrong about that. Maybe the, maybe the people on the real world were just that fake, you know, 15 years ago, but it feels like a different like layer or level of acting. Lauren Sai from Terrace House, the Aloha State. She, I love her. She's an illustrator and actress too. And she was in Moxie recently on Netflix. But like she was taught, she did kind of an expose a little bit interview about it, about how they would deliberately tell them, okay, now you have to be in that room and have a conversation about that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like yeah. she said people had real feelings and experiences, but also like a lot of it was manipulated. So, well, my sister in law was working in television production for quite a while and she was doing reality stuff where she would be like she would do interviews with them and like get to know certain things about them and then be like okay I'm gonna throw this question into the mix and get you to talk about this particular thing so we can edit it to have a little story kind of thing yeah not not again hers were more like uh American Ninja Warrior so there's like a competition but she was one of the people like crafting the tales about (laughs) the competitors you know yeah well, getting back to the film, like just like this, we could talk about this forever, I think. But like mm-hmm. getting back to the film, I just like that this is like kind of meta that they just like stuck this in here. Like we're about to watch like th- sort of this, what seems to be the real document of like these two people meeting in real time, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not really, of course, it's very highly scripted and not improvised, which some people accused it of being at all. Like, but it's trying to be a facsimile of that. Right. And like here, he's putting this idea right into the middle of that, this real time mundane things that people are doing. Like this is not a movie where a lot of things happen per se, mm-hmm, but they, mm-hmm. but they also do happen like the little like uh, subtleties of conversation. So I thought that was a really cool touch on link ladders part. Maybe he just wanted to tell about his cable access idea. I don't know. All right. So, so this is, we're in the setup of the movie. They start out on this train. Um, I think trains are like really romantic. I don't know about you guys. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Sure. So I just wanted to mention here, so it's a travel series we're doing still. And if you wanted to get a Uriel pass like Jesse got today, the global pass, which is 10 travel days of unlimited travel in that day within a two-month period, is $489 if you're over 28 and 367 if you're Jesse and Celine's age, 12 to 27. So I think that could be a pretty good deal if you're doing a European trip now that COVID is starting to 
you know, hopefully peter out a little bit. And yeah, I just wanted to put that in. And yeah, and like on this train during the setup, like, so it's, there's this romantic air of the train, but the, almost the first thing you see is this fighting couple, like this German couple having a, a fight, and which is actually what ends up throwing Jesse and Celine together. And according to IMDb, the German couple are arguing about which of them is an alcoholic after the husband reads out <laughs> a headline about so many women being alcoholics. And then he accuses his wife of being an alcoholic. So it's like, well, that's an interesting fight. <laughs> like, but I really find it interesting that this romantic movie opens with a long-term couple having a fight. With- what I noticed this time is that it was the middle-aged couple because they show, a, a, you know, the camera go cuts to an elderly couple oh, sitting yeah. quietly next mm. to each other. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, God, oh, it's the yeah. middle-aged people. Well, they can't hear it. The older people can't hear they each can't other hear anymore, each according other. to Celine, because you apparently lose your upper and lower ranges. And like, yeah. <laughs> I totally Maybe. think I have said that. And legit went to the ear doctor and was like, I cannot hear my husband talking to me. <laughs> She's like, well, when you're doing the dishes, it is hard to hear anything. <laughs> anyway, I think yeah. it's true. I can't hear him at all. So yeah, like this older couple fighting right next to Celine causes her to move over to where Jesse's sitting. They're both reading erotic books. Um, okay, so I went and looked up what these books they're reading are about. She's reading Madame Eduarda Le Morte Histoire de l'Oeil by George Bataille. And apparently it is erotic prose about erotic excess and spirituality, but Bataille is known as a philosopher, so it's kind of highbrow. And then Ethan Hawke's character, Jesse, is reading All I Need is Love by the actor Klaus Kinski, which is like this memoir that apparently is a lot of sexual content, including him talking about incest, incestuous experiences he's had. So I'm mm-hmm. like, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're, it's interesting they're both reading about sex, I thought. Yeah. You know, suggestive. Agreed. If you actually are able to catch what they're reading without a pause button. So they move then to the lounge car. Jesse invites her to the lounge car and they start talking about the cable access program we already talked about. Jesse talks about seeing his grandmother's ghost. There's like little interesting stories. And then they arrive like in Vienna just when things are getting going. So then Jesse makes his big proposal to Celine. All right. I have an admittedly insane idea, but if I don't ask you this, it's just... uh... You know, it's going to haunt me the rest of my life. What? Um, I want to keep talking to you. You know, I have no idea what your situation is, but, uh, but I feel like we have some kind of, uh, connection, right? Yeah, me too. Yeah, right. Well, great. So listen, here's the deal. This is what we should do. You should get off the train with me here in Vienna and come check out the town. What? Come on, it'll be fun. What would we do? Um, I don't know. All I know is I have to catch an Austrian Airlines flight tomorrow morning at 9.30, and I don't really have enough money for a hotel, so I was just going to walk around, and it'd be a lot more fun if you came with me. And if I turn out to be some kind of psycho, you know, you just get on the next train. All right, all right. Think of it like this. Um, uh, jump ahead. 10, 20 years, okay? And you're married. And only your marriage doesn't have that same energy that it used to have. You know, you start to blame your husband. You start to think about all those guys you've met in your life and what might have happened if you picked up with one of them, right? Well, I'm one of those guys. That's me. You know, so think of this as time travel from then to now uh, to find out what you're missing out on. See, what this really could be is a gigantic favor to both you and your future husband to find out that you're not missing out on anything. I'm just as big as loser as he is, totally unmotivated, totally boring, and uh, you made the right choice and you're really happy. 
let me get my bag. So what do you think of his um uh his proposal to get off the train? What do you think of his pitch? I don't know. <laughs> Fine. I'm not bothered by it. I'm not um would you I'm saying put yourself in her shoes though. Like would you would, would you respond to that? I would have gone. I mean, if we'd already had okay, given that we had great conversation and that I was enjoying myself, yes, I would have gone. Would you have required the pitch or would you have gone, would you go without it? I'd go without it. At that age especially, I was very like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I mean, maybe I would have, but like just wanted to hear what he'd have to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I like it. It was nice. Like me, me now, I would go. Like, I mean, not married me, but like me, my personality now. Yeah. Right. Um, and I don't know if I would have in my 20s. And that's a little sad to admit, but probably true. <laughs> I would, hear the, would it be ca- caution, do you think? Or like, probably, yeah. 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 And just like, just being more, I don't know, more nervous. I, I guess if I was that, that person who was in that conversation, you know, I would have gone because I think it makes sense to go. But yeah. would I have even allowed myself to get caught up in that conversation in the first place? Maybe yeah. not at that age, which bumps me out. <laughs> no, I, t- I totally hear you. I hear you. I might be daydreaming. I probably would have reacted that way, too, in real life. But um, I don't know. Hard to know. Because sometimes I would go for things and other times I'd be like, no, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, like, I I was very impulsive in a lot of ways. And I think there's maybe something to what he says, the character says about, like, um, do these things now so that when you look back, you can be like, well, I, there aren't roads that I didn't take. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I like, I think he's being self-deprecating and in a fake way when he's like, you'll see that they're all just as disappointing or they're like, all those guys were just boring, just like your husband. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I don't know. I do think it's interesting, like thematically, that he goes for that angle, like the mm. the the future marriage angle. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, that it's hard to imagine someone saying that in real life, you know. But it fits uh, with the whole theme of the movie. Yeah, with the different time, time things about time and death, which we'll talk about yeah. later. Yeah, and like I like how Celine, my and my husband really noticed this. Um, how she pauses like ever so slightly. Before she dif- disembarks from the train, she like her foot is just kind of in the air for a second or something. Mm. And, and and they later they talk about an alternate timeline where she had stayed on the train. And in Slacker, too, there's this at the o- very opening of the movie. There's talk about alternate timelines. Like, what if this guy had stayed at the bus station? And I think that's very much a link ladder hallmark. They eventually arrive at the West Bonhoeff train station, which used to be the main station, I guess, Platform 7. So you can still visit that, but it is no longer the main train station in Vienna. So they get off the train and they arrive at Zollamsteg Bridge, which is not actually near that same train station. And they encounter their first Austrians and some of the only ones that really get dialogue. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, sprechen Sie English? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, Could you speak German for a change? What? No, it was a joke. Well, listen, we just got into Vienna today and we're looking for something fun to do. Like museums, exhibition things. But museums are not that funny anymore these days. Um, uh, they are closing right now. How long are you going to be here? Uh, just for tonight. Why did you come to Vienna? What, what, uh, what could you be expecting? Um, we're on honeymoon. Yeah, uh, she got pregnant. We had to get married. No, I don't believe you. You're a bad liar. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a this is a play we both in 
and we would like to invite you. Your um, actors? No, not professional actors, uh, part-time actors for fun. It's a play about a cow and the Indians searching for it. They are also in politicians, uh, Russians Mexicans, in, yes. Russians. Communists. Uh, so you have a real cow on stage? No, not a real cow. It's an actor in a cow costume. And he is the cow? Yes, I am the cow and the, uh, the cow is a bit weird. The cow has a disease. She's acting a bit strange, like a dog. If someone throws a stick, she fetches it and brings it back and she can smoke with the hooves and everything. <laughs> And as you see, there's the address. It's in the second district. Near the Prato. You know the Prato? Oh, the big fair. With the wheel, yes. Oh, yes, yeah, a wheel. Everybody knows it. Perhaps you can go to the Prato before the play. <laughs> it starts at 21.30. 21.30? Yeah. It's at 9.30. Oh, 9.30. Oh, right. right. Okay, great. Well, what's the name of this play? Uh, it translates as uh, Bring, Bring Me the, the Horns of, of Wilmington's Cow. cow. I'm Remington's car. Okay. All right. Great. We'll be Will you be there? You. Yeah, we'll try. I'm yeah. the car. You're the... <laughs> <laughs> yes. I do too. I love those Austrians, dude. They are so fucking Austrian. It is so fucking hilarious. How they're like, maybe we can speak German for a change. No, it was a joke. <laughs> yes, I'm the cow. They're, they're so throwing shade without like, like being. Right. Like, no. Oh, man. I love those guys, man. Me too. They make, they make the movie for me now. Like, <laughs> they really do. <laughs> And like that fucking play, man. There's like Russians and Mexicans and communists and a mad cow. <laughs> and a mad cow. <laughs> Brilliant. All of it. Brilliant. She can smoke with her hooves. And... Oh, man. Would either of you see this play? Like, I think if I were with a cute guy, I would not see the play. But like, if I were by myself, I would 100% be there. I, I would, would try to definitely go. watch that play. That would, yeah. that would be, that would be like, the central uh, event of my personal night in Vienna, if this was my movie. <laughs> Even if there was like a guy that you were like really enjoying talking to, you'd just be like, we're oh, going yeah. to the play. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. That would like, that would be very important to me. And then we could just keep talking about that crazy play we just saw. <laughs> what detracts you to the play, Zoe? Just the weirdness or like? Just the weirdness. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And be- and just like, because I don't know, I feel like if you get off a train and and you're embarking on this, like, wide open adventure and those are the first people you meet and they present, <laughs> they bring this play to you then right. then you have to accept that sign from the universe <laughs> I, 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 okay yeah that's good that's a good argument for it definitely i mean how many bars and cafes can you go to like really so. <laughs> i would want to see this guy act as the cow like what would he do and like but that a, a cow that's acting like a dog that can smoke like that would be fascinating i would like to see his process his execution of that you know and what i love about this and this is something i love about slacker too so just just gonna say link ladder has a way of bringing in characters that like have their whole other world that you would love to see like you'd love to see Mm. what these dudes are doing with their play or what the german couple follow them and find out what happens to them like link ladder has a way of seeding in minor characters that have like these worlds that you'd be interested in too that's something mm-hmm. I like. Love that. Yeah. Okay. So, really quick question. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we got we got so much to talk about. But what city or place would you want to be stuck in overnight with without enough money for lodging? If you had to choose one. Well, it, it has happened to me in Toulouse, oh, okay. France. 
Oh. And, and it was actually really fun. And we camped next to a train station or a train track. We didn't know there was a train track there until we woke up in the middle of the night. And I definitely thought it was about to run me over, but it was oh, about no. eight, it was eight feet away. But there was like, it was like in a ditch and there was lots of really soft leaves and it was really fun. What else did you do? Like, were was there things open or like just wandering around or? No, we just, we just went to this, uh, it was like a park, a park right next to this train track apparently. And, okay. uh, just to just to find a place to sleep, we had. I mean, we had spent the day in Toulouse going to the okay. museums and stuff. What if like you wanted to do more than just sleep though? Like, would there be a different city you'd pick or a different place? Oh, just to like wander around. Overnight? Yeah, so you could have a similar experience like this. Oh my goodness! I have mine. Tokyo. Say- oh, good choice too. Okay, yeah. Mm. What do you imagine doing in Tokyo, or why would you? Pick oh it? boy! I mean, I picked it because I was there most re- as the most recent place I've traveled, and I just feel like. That's a city with like you could spend a lifetime not exploring every every place there is to explore there. Yeah, and my choice is similar. It's also in Asia, East Asia, and I think like Tokyo, I I believe is also the same as Busan, South Korea, where I used to live. It's things are open all night, right? Yeah, like you can find things that are open, which is not always true. So I would pick Busan just because I miss Busan, and also like. You can do nightlife stuff. You can do karaoke. You can like um, go to a cafe really, really late at night, sometimes 24 hours. You can go to the beach. There's a couple beaches in Busan and just like sit on the beach. I once skinny dipped in Busan at like four in the morning. I was the oh, only sober awesome. one. It's not, it's really frowned upon there too, probably. Okay. Like it was probably not the best decision, but it was really late. <laughs> and yeah, like it's just, it's a kind of place where you can have that kind of fun too, although much more crowded. Like it wouldn't have that same, you know, era of you being the only people in the world or that dreamlike quality, right? It's just normal life in Busan for people to be up all night. But I think mm. I would like to have options, you know, <laughs> any choice for yourself? Very first thing that popped into my head, you know, a couple of days ago reading this, I was like, oh, Paris, but I have zero grounds for that. And then now as you spoke, I'm like, oh, it'd be fun to, you know, New York is New York City. I'm very familiar with that, but all night long and walking around and um, I don't know, Edinburgh. But I think everything closes. That's the problem. I'm like, don't don't a lot of things close? Paris, you might be able to find like jazz bars and stuff like, you know, and there's definitely parks you could probably like head to, I think. Yeah. So it'd be similar to Vienna, probably. I don't know about New York. Yeah, I don't. I thought about that as I watched this this time. I'm like, are all these places really open all night long? Uh, is that some true? Places. It must be. I mean, some places, bars stay open pretty late, I would say, probably in clubs. But yeah. 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 Let's see. Oh, we talked about this a little bit before. So one thing that stuck out to me about this movie is like whether it would, um, this kind of situation is still really possible in the same way in the smartphone era. And um, this was an interesting quote from Ethan Hawke in a New York Times interview. So he said, my daughter, and his daughter's the actress Maya Hawke, who you, you may have seen in Stranger Things, um, mm-hmm. as well as um, she was had a small part in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay, so he says, my daughter, the actress Maya Hawke, decided to watch the movie with some of her friends. And there was a certain envy they had for a time where you didn't have email. Life insisted that you live in the moment more. There's something about always being digitally present that allows you to not be present. And part of what Jesse and Celine try to do in that movie is actually be present with each other. So I really resonate with that. Um, Mm. Really, really resonate with that. Like I didn't get a smartphone for a long time because I knew I would become addicted to it. And lo and behold, I became addicted to it. And I'll still (laughs) find myself sometimes checking my phone when I should be in the moment with my husband 
or mm-hmm. I do it less with friends, to be honest, because like, I think I'm more conscious that I don't see them all the time, but like, really, why do I need to be on the phone? You know? And like, right. I think meeting a new person like Jesse and Celine do, I might, I might stay off the phone, but if I got awkward or nervous, I might check it. Or if I was lost and need directions, I would check it. Or if you're talking about a topic and somebody doesn't know the answer, you go and check the internet to find out the answer. And I feel like there's something lost in that. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know. What do you guys think? What's your perspective on this? No, I, I totally agree. I, I do think I've got a group of people who we enjoy having conversations. And so we'll we'll sometimes go down those rabbit holes that could be really easily solved by looking something up, but we just we just consciously refuse to do that so that we can have the conversation, you know, which yeah. is pretty cool. I think that it would be really different and it might be less possible now with the with the distractions. Would they even notice each other? You know, like would they would they even yeah. connect in the same way? But there is a romantic side to me that thinks that it is like if you have a real connection with someone, I think that you'll still have it and you'll still notice it. You'll still look up from your phone. Yeah, I like do. Like in the I train and, and in the train yeah. and see each other. Yeah. I do kind of think that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One thing I liked that I noticed was they're both reading books, right? And like when you're right. reading a paper book, you can see what the other person's reading and kind of make that oh, judgment about that. But if you're right. on a phone, somebody could be looking at anything in the world, like literally anything. You have no idea. But I, I right. like the, the the books as a personality marker thing that you don't you mm. don't see as many people reading physical books anymore. Okay, so they move on um, from the encounter with the Wilmington's cow cast <laughs> and they, they get on to um, one of Vienna's trams and I just wanted to shout out Vienna's tram system is supposed to be really good and apparently there's like a four to eight minute intervals between trams oh my god I'm so jealous of the public transportation in Europe and yeah. um, the systems existed since the 1800s and I'm going to put a link to a Rick Steves uh, video he recommends using line one if you visit Vienna to, mm-hmm. to go around the Ringstrasse and you can kind of do a little self-guided tour of some of the major historic sites and beautiful buildings so they get on the tram and um, they use the tram time to ask each other like kind of like a 20 questions kind of thing. And um, Jesse's first question is like, describe your first sexual feelings for a person, which is kind of a bold opener, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. I just feel like, oh my gosh, what a thing. But I remember questions like that, you yeah. know, like in college and whatnot, just like you go for it. You, yeah. you know, forget your favorite color. Tell me yeah. about <laughs> Yeah, right. You know, especially yeah. people that you're feeling like you're connecting with, you know, yeah. and you just get right to it. So, yeah, I do yeah, feel like they they both go for it. They both have a lot of like they talk about sex pretty boldly or in sure. their mentions of it, I feel like the whole time. So it kind of fits. Sure. But it's interesting that they have him. He's asking, what's your first sexual feeling for a person? And she's like, have you ever been in love? And he and like she she answers him and she gives him a little story about this guy she met at camp. And then they promised to meet again and they never did, which is interesting given the movie. And mm-hmm. then when he but when she asks, have you ever been in love? He's like, yes. Next question. <laughs> he's just like <laughs> he doesn't want to he doesn't want to dig into it at all. And I thought that was interesting. It's a little bit gender essentialist in my opinion, but. I mean, that's one of my main complaints about the movies. I think at times it's a little bit like classic man, classic woman, like man is about sex, woman is about love. I don't know. Mm. Do you feel that at all? Or is that just me noticing this? See, see, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like when we learn more about him later, his answer to that question makes more sense because it's like the the love thing is raw for him. I think, I think he's, I think he's quite romantic and capable of talking about love. He's just, that's just maybe more intimate. Of a it's just too soon, too soon yeah. for him. Yeah. 
So uh, let's see. And then later they get around to um, tell me something that really pisses you off. Yeah. What do you think, Soph? I think you were interested in her answer in particular. You know, she talks about a war being 300 kilometers away. And I, my uh, semester abroad, there was war going on in an area of Europe that we weren't going to, but close enough to. And there was a lot of protesting. And we were like, hi, we're, we're not American. Because nobody was happy with Americans again. Mm. You know, like mm. it was um, and just kind of uh, a little more aware of. And not even knowing, like looking back, it's like, oh, so first thoughts of like your privilege and your your security and your, you know, wealth and your situation. Um, I wouldn't have never put words like that to what I was feeling, but just having a touch of awareness of something not so great happening, not so far away, mm-hmm. you know. Celine does go pretty deep. She's like probably referencing Bosnia, like you said. And then right. like, um, and then, but she's also talking about like the media is controlling us and like, mm-hmm. um, which is a very Gen X theme. <laughs> and then be, I'm being told by men on the street to smile and having people Ugh. saying, it's so wow. French. It's so cute. She, she says a range of things and they're all like a little political or feminist in their, in their essence, which is interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah I like she's, she's set up as a very deep character, I think in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then but then she's like, what's a problem for you? And he gets into this thing about how, and this is a link ladder thing, I'm almost sure, like where he's like, what about reincarnation? There's too many bodies existing today and not enough souls to fill them. Like to me, that's like such a pure link ladder ph- philosophical thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't commentary on the link ladder part, but as far as like Jesse's response and versus Celine's response and their, you know, kind of things that they're thinking about in terms of like problems. You know, and what's a problem for you? What are you stressing out about? <laughs> it's like too many bodies, not enough souls. That's yeah. He goes very me- like intellectual rather than personal. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But they mm. are, I think that they are both like deep, like they're both really interesting angles, right? Like yeah. I'm interested yeah. in both of these people, but yeah. they are like, mm. hers are very like real world, idealistic, political. And, and but his is I mean, if if that's a problem for you, it's a it's a big one, right? <laughs> sure, spiritual stuff and like your place and the and it's a different. I think both are the because I mean I think with her stuff with like war and you know the people like controlling media, controlling you or whatnot, and then you're and then another half of like what's going on with my connection in the universe and my soul and like that's they all kind of emerge like cross paths you know, mm-hmm. they cross over. So to say one's thinking of another and they're like, they're opposite. I think they're, you're going to find it's the same question in a way. Okay. So we get then um, after this, we get to the record store listening booth scene. And I was really excited to find out this record store still exists. It is Ooh, called, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> it is called the um, Teuchtler Schauplattenhandlung. And it's on Windmühlgasse 10. And I'll put that in the show notes, the exact location of how to get there. Um, it's got a sign in front of it that says Alt und Neu, old and new. But it's, yeah, actually has a different name for the sh- shop. And yeah, it's, it's it still exists. Um, I don't know what the COVID stuff is for that, but like I could still find a website for it and a Facebook page. But apparently the listening booth was constructed for the movie. But there were a couple of people who were writing blogs about how they visited there. And like when the people found out they were visiting because of Before Sunrise, they helped them do like a photo shoot with each other and stuff. So it seems like it's a pretty welcoming place if you were ever in Vienna that you could visit. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. 
I just love this scene so much. They go into this listening booth and they start this record and they're just kind of like looking at each other and looking away. And it's like that feels like a real turning point for like, okay, this is more than just a we're, we're talking. There feels like there's real, I don't know, like real love starting to blossom. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. just it's really adorable yeah. and relatable and sweet. Yeah. Their body language is so good. Yeah, yeah. In, in the scene. And apparently, like, neither of them had heard the song in the scene before. So they were reacting to the song, which is called Come Here by Kath Bloom in real time. That was, And it has, like, these really romantic lyrics. So I think mm-hmm. that could be part of it. Like, I don't know. What do you think, Soph? What do you think about the scene? Oh, gosh, I love this scene. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, they're um, it's just everything that Zoe said. It's a good one. And, yeah, that song is very romantic and it's a romantic scene and hawk told the new york times that it's probably my single favorite take of anything i've been involved with which that is high praise indeed and this was a pretty recent interview too so like it's encompassing a lot of his career and delpy in the same interview said that was really special it was like magic each time i felt ethan looking away i would look at him and vice versa i almost fell in love with him right there but then rick said cut they always refer to Richard Linklater as Rick. So I guess that's what he goes by. But yeah, I'm like, you can really feel that chemistry between the actors. Yeah. I'm- well, that's a really cool quote of hers too, because she says something in the film about magic, if it exists, being like the, the mm. connections between people. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she might really believe that. It sounds like she really believes that in real life because it's the, it is that connection between them. That's like no words, you know, but it's still just like filling up the screen. So yeah amazingly yeah there's a certain intimacy that too that comes with being quiet with people as opposed to talking like you were saying zoe they've stopped having conversation they're just existing together i think like yeah it's a different way of building intimacy yeah i think it was very clever scene all around yeah so now they end up next at the friedhof der namenlosen which is translates uh, Celine calls it the Cemetery of the No Name, or I've also seen Cemetery of the Nameless. And apparently it's really hard to get there. So like if you're doing your Before Sunrise tour, this is one of the harder places to get to. Um, you have to like take a train, a bus, and then walk. But um, it's an interesting, like kind of morbid scene in the middle of this movie. Um, mo- like Celine tells Jesse that most of the people buried at the cemetery had washed up on the banks of the Danube from accidents on boats or suicides. And she goes to the grave of this one girl who had been 13 years, 13 years old. And that's how old she was when she first saw it. And she said, now I'm 10 years older and she's still 13, I guess. And she looks so wistful about it. Mm-hmm. It's a very beautiful, melancholic kind of a scene. It was hard for me to go back to being 23 or whatever. And what I thought about death versus like now. I think when I was... 23 i'm like oh that death thing is so so far away and it's not going to happen to anybody i know whatever we're now i'm like just kind of so terrible um kind of just waiting around i'm like okay who's next and this is it's awful like a re- understanding the reality of it happens anything can happen as you know. So I feel like these characters are being close to death and visiting the cemetery, though. Like, I'm well, I'll, we'll talk mm-hmm. about it later. There's an article I read about it that like talks about how much they talk about death compared to like your average 23 year old who'd probably be at a bar mm. instead of in a cemetery. Yeah. I don't know, yeah. but but are you are you saying like maybe the movie is like romanticizing it or making it theoretical more than real? Is that kind of your thought? <laughs> no, not at all. Um, 
I don't I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to remember what I felt then versus what I yeah. do now. It was more personal than like how it's played out in the film. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't remember conversations like that, I guess. About death. But, uh, yeah, about death. I do because my mom died when I was 20. Right. So like, right. I started thinking about death like really young. Like, and it was yeah. t- kind of bad. In some ways, pretty bad for me. My brother had a better reaction. He became very zestful about life and like, you know, mm. uh, more spiritual. And for me, I had a very long time where I think it's, ca- it, it, even to this day, sometimes handicaps me a little bit. But yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, right, I definitely Zoe, thought about death. I, I remember, like, always being worried about it. And and our little girl now is also like, are you going to – she just says D. Are you going to D? Oh, my. <laughs> and and I'm like, I don't know. You know, I say no. Um, but I told her, I'm like, I was your age, and I always thought about my mom and dad dying all the time. I would, like, make myself cry, like, as I fell asleep, just imagining them gone. And then when I got married, all I could think about was, like, what if I lost him? And I'm like, it's okay, hun. You can go about your day still. (laughs) Like, normalize it for her. I'm like, it's something we all think about. I'm just like, for me, I'm wondering, like, I feel like it could be in the movie because, you know, there's other things in the movie that are about death and time, but it's interesting to have it in the middle of a romance. Like, do you have any other ideas, Zoe, or like, is it not a scene that you care that much about? Yeah, or? yeah I, th- I mean, I think that it does fit that whole theme where of being super conscious of time and things ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe it is like to contrast the like like your brother, you know, how they can have this zest for this this one day because the endings of things are like all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, okay. that's how I that's how I try to think about it to this yeah. day you know definitely i mean i think that's the ideal to be in the moment to be in the now and not to like have it on your mind and appreciate each moment but it can be hard too yeah yeah but but i think i think pushing it out of your mind isn't the answer either right yeah. it's like you yeah. have to be able to engage with it to fully be in the now because you have yeah. to like otherwise you're like a child right sure maybe yeah. not an eight-year-old but like you're <laughs> otherwise you're engaging with it like a very, a very like non-mature way yeah. to, to be in the moment without the knowledge that the moment will end or Honestly, the moments end. I feel like so many people walk around pushing it out of their mind that like is a coping mechanism. So sure. Yeah. It's I like, that's the kind of thing Buddhist monks are doing. Like they're on the, like, let's meditate on death every day angle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that pushing it out is, yeah. I don't think that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so after they're on this, like, you know, trip to the cemetery, they then go to the Ferris wheel scene. And um, I just, like, I love that this Ferris wheel is the same one that you see in The Third Man, uh, which is a classic film. Um, it's called the Wiener Riesenrad inside the Prater Park. I hope my German pronunciations are good. I think they're all right. Though. It sounds and, really nice. <laughs> and you can and you can still visit there. I guess like they had some COVID restrictions, but it seems like they're reopening. Um, tickets are 12 euros for adults, so about 1460 US at the time I checked, and five euros for children, about six US. Seems pretty reasonable for such a cool Ferris wheel. And um, it's part of a larger like amusement park space and green space. And the most of it is open from March to October, but the Ferris wheel is open year round. 
Um, what I found really interesting about this is Julie Delpy is apparently afraid of heights and like she has not been on a Ferris wheel since shooting that movie. And no. like, no. and Ethan, Ethan Hawke was like joking that it's really like difficult to try to make out with someone who's terrified that they're going to die or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, anyway, um, yeah, there's, they could tell you more about the Prodder, but, or the Ferris wheel, but I'm not going to bother right now, but it is, it was built in 1897. So it's kind of like a, you know, mainstay of the Vienna landscape. And it used to be quite unique and like now tons of cities have them, but yeah, mm. at the time they had to shoot the scene in the morning because the, 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 the wheel was operational, you know, still people were on it and like, they wouldn't let them stop as long as they needed to at, at sunset. So you're really seeing a sunrise. Okay. Huh. Hmm. And, um, which is, you know, for the movie, it's before sunrise. So there you go. Right. Kind of, and, um, let's see anything else. Oh, and so and this is a scene where they have their first kiss. And let me say, I love that. Like, he's the one who kind of broaches the topic hints at it, but then she's the one who has to close the deal. And part of mm-hmm. why I love that is I'm totally like Ethan Hawke's character. Like I will bring things up. I'll be like, I'm interested in you, but then I immediately get shy and like, <laughs> I need somebody to close the deal like Celine does. I also like it when women are closing the, or kissing first in movies. I like that because you don't see yeah. it enough. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you guys like? What are your opinions on the scene? And I mean, when I was young, I, you, uh, even still, I'm like, ah, I love it. And then, but I noticed that this time too that she she's the one that actually, yeah, kisses him. And um, I thought that was kind of fun too. I'm like, yeah, girl. Yeah. <laughs> So we're, I don't, it's kind of arbitrary to declare a spoiler section for this movie, um, but we can now talk about the end of this movie. We're still not going to talk about sunset or midnight, but um, yeah, we can now talk about the end. So if you haven't seen Before Sunrise, jump out now and get back to us. So we're going to another mystical place. We're going to the palm reader scene, which takes place at the Kleinus Cafe um, I don't think I checked whether that's still open. I think it is, but I'm not 100% sure. I'll put, you know, links to where you can find these places in the show notes. And one of the only actresses who has a lot of IMDb credits shows up as the palm reader, Austrian actress Ernie Mongold, still working today. And they're sitting at this cafe table when they kind of catch her eye and she gives Selena's palm reading. She said, you are an adventurer. You are interested in the power of the woman, in woman's deep strength and creativity. You are becoming this woman. You need to resign yourself to the awkwardness of life. Only if you find peace within yourself will you find true connections with others. And then um, she goes and looks at Jesse's hands for a moment. And then she tells Celine, you will be all right. He's learning. (laughs) 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 Which I kind of loved. I I liked that palm reading. And Celine loves it too. And then Jesse predictably does not love it. Like, (laughs) right. And this kind of becomes their first site of conflict because she's like, this is so cool, romantic. Like the palm reader departs and she said, everything we know is stardust. So don't forget, you are stardust. And he's like, oh, it's a scam. She just told you what you want to hear. Like, who are, are you guys more of a Celine or a Jesse? Like if you had this like interaction with this palm reader, do you think you'd be cynical like Jesse or like romantic like Celine about it? I mean, if it was like such a nice palm reading, <laughs> it would be hard to reject it, right? I mean, I love this. I would so jump on like palm readers, tarot cards. Like I I love like read my future. Tell me what you see about me. Like anything. Yeah. As long as it's good. Like I get a kick (laughs) out of that kind of stuff. Have either of you gotten Uh, a palm reading? I had one once. Have either of you had one? 
No. no. So my palm reading was like in Amherst, Massachusetts or somewhere, like when I was in college the first time. And they and it was so boring. She was like, you're going to get married once and have three children and not do anything very remarkable. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> you're already wrong, lady. <laughs> part of me part of me wonders like maybe i'm supposed to like get married three times and have one child but we're even the clock is ticking on that one too so i think she told my my brother though she told my brother he was going to travel all over the world and have a very exciting life and i mean she's right about that so you know one for two i guess i don't know (laughs) bizarre So, but I like that kind of stuff too. I would totally be with Celine on that. And Jesse's like, just kind of like, uh, I don't know. And he's like, I think he, but like she points out, Celine points out, maybe he's most upset because it's the attention's not on him. Do you guys mm. think that's somewhat? Yeah. Like if he had gotten like that same kind of like, oh, you know, deep look into him, I can see him being into it too. But he kind of <laughs> got brushed off as like a side character to her palm reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah, if he was, if they were like, you're going to be famous and achieve all these great things and like, yeah. Right. Oh, and she will be a good partner to you or something. Yeah. <laughs> if he gotten that. It's funny. <laughs> and then this is like, this is gets echoed in like, uh, like the next scene, I would say. Like, so they go and they're by the river, the Danube River, and they encounter this like uh, itinerant poet, like kind of begging by writing poems and being like, pay what you will. And this is the first time I'd heard of this concept, but I've seen it since the movie. I don't know if Linklater had seen this or like, if it was like something that was like came, became popular because of the movie, but I always thought that was a cool idea, like r- writing poems for people and then asking pay what you can. And they give him the word milkshake and he has to make this poem for them. And like, Celine's like, Oh, it's a great poem. I like it so much. And Jesse's like, he didn't just write that. Like he had them written. He put the word in. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's the same thing of like he's cynical because it's a scam and she's like oh it's so beautiful mm-hmm. like again i ask like are you jesse or celine in this situation uh in that situation i don't think i'd care like i would just appreciate that um here i'll write a poem and and you pay me what you think like i kind of i like that exchange and i'd be like sure i'll pay you know an artist whether he wrote it immediately or had it already pre-written i just like this idea of like paying an artist for their work and yeah so i like that i like that yeah. attitude mm-hmm. i still think i would snark on it like jesse in that <laughs> case. even though i would be happy to have done it because it's a fun little experience right and, yeah you know. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah these are the kind of experiences i think i'm more vulnerable to if i'm traveling like i'm more willing to do something like pay somebody to, to have that story you know whereas in day-to-day yeah. life if i'm walking right. to work i might not be like oh yeah yeah <laughs> right and then we get to the um, what I call the meaning of life scene, sort of like Zoe. You mm. were actually referred to this before. Um, like I think, like it's worth reading the whole quote from Celine. Do you want to read it, Zoe? Since you were talking about it before, I have it. Like- sure. Yeah. You know, I believe that if there was any kind of God, it wouldn't be in any of us—not you or me—but just this little space in between. If there's any kind of magic in this world, it must be in the attempt of understanding someone, sharing something. I know it's almost impossible to succeed, but who cares, really? The answer must be in the attempt. Hmm. That didn't strike me when I was younger, I don't think, but it struck me this time. I don't know. It must have struck you, Zoe, because you brought it up, right? Yeah. I, I mean, when I was watching this, I was thinking about one of the questions that you put in this in this planning document about, you know, do you identify more with Jesse or Celine? And this this scene here is really hard for me because... 
I do think that having really good loving relationships is super important, but there is always part of me that's looking for something more that is looking to excel in some way beyond that. Yeah. Which is what Jesse says. He wants to be, make sure that at the end of his life, he's achieved something. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if like, I mean, then Celine comes in and talks about an older man she worked for who only thought about his career, but didn't put any, put any of himself in it. And so his, his life was basically meaningless. I think that there's a way to do both. I really like yeah. in my, mm. you know, in my late thirties, I feel like it's not an either or. I think that yeah. there's ways to have both. So mm-hmm. I think one thing I will say is that you can control sometimes that what you achieve career wise more than you can control, you know, particular kinds of loving relationships. Of course you can have loving relationships that are platonic with many, many people pretty easily in life, but like sometimes love is chance too, I would say, but yeah. Mm. I definitely have prioritized love more. I mean, I think if you put your attention on it, you might be more likely to find it. But yeah, I'm, and I'm definitely more of a Celine. And I love this quote. I think it's very profound um, that by ourselves, we are not necessarily, we need some kind of interaction maybe. And maybe that, for me, maybe that interaction could be like platonic too, or with, you know, pets or whatever, like, but that effort to like connect, I don't know. Sophia, any mm-hmm. more you want to say about any of these themes or? So I, Throughout this whole film, and this is something that I, um, well, this was my mid-20s, living in New York and waiting on people at this theatrical bookshop and stuff like that. And um, I felt, okay, a Joni Mitchell line, you know, from A Case of You, where she goes, love is touching souls. Surely you touched mine. Um, Part of you pours out of me in these lines from time to time. Mm. I think about that line all the time that love is touching souls. Just having these moments with people are souls touching. And, and that was beautiful. And, and that was love. Um, I mean, I just think about the people that are even like my, my little tiny students, my little three and four year olds, like I think our, our souls are touching and that's love. Like how I'm just mm-hmm. so, in love with these little people and, and care about them so much um, and their families and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess there is that, uh, this idea of like a magic of in between and these little moments of souls touching. And I don't know. That's my romantic part. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's then, really cool. No, I love it. Yeah. I also, I have to, I can't help but think that that is excelling in some way to, to go back to quoting Jesse mm-hmm. and maybe, maybe I'm the one that's like trying too hard to like twist their meaning so that I can have it both ways. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we come now to the cafe Spurl scene, which is the telephone game scene. And we heard like um, kind of a lot of Julie Delpy's half of this conversation already in the trailer. It seems like they just mm-hmm. took the trailer from her conversation they like go to this cafe and like she comes up with the idea of having a fake telephone conversation with their friends back home about what's happened. And apparently Delpy said in the special features that she had played this game with her friends as a way of having conversations at times, which I thought was interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And so in Celine's half, she kind of ends up revealing how she feels about Jesse, like, you know, what she likes about him. And then um, she plays his American friend. And I've got to play this clip because it's like hilarious. I love her impersonation of the American so mm-hmm. okay it's your turn you call your friend uh, okay all right all right um uh, ring 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 uh, i usually get this guy's answering machine 
Hi, dude. What's up? Uh, <laughs> hey, Frank. How you been? I'm glad you're home. Cool. Yeah. So, how was Madrid? Uh, Madrid sucked. Uh, you know, Lisa and I had a long overdue meltdown. Oh, too bad. I told you, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The long distance thing just never works. I was only in Madrid for a couple days. I got a cheaper flight out of Vienna. But, uh, you know, it really wasn't that much cheaper. I just, uh, I couldn't go home right away. I didn't want to see anybody I knew. I just wanted to be a ghost, completely anonymous. So are you okay now? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I'm great. I'm great. That's the thing. I'm, I'm rapturous. And I'll tell you why. I met somebody on my last night in Europe. Can you believe that? That's incredible. I know. I know. And you know how they say we're all each other's demons and angels? Well, she was literally a Botticelli angel. Just telling me that everything was going to be okay. How did you meet? On the train. Mm. Yeah, she was sitting next to this very weird couple that started fighting, so she had to move. She sat right across the aisle from me. So we started to talk. And uh, she didn't like me much at first. She's super smart. Very passionate. Um, and beautiful. And I was so unsure of myself. I thought everything I said sounded so stupid. Oh, man. I wouldn't worry about that. No. No, I'm sure she was not judging you. No, and by the way, she sat next to you, no? I'm sure she did it in purpose. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Us men are so stupid. We don't understand anything about women. Mm -mm. They are kind of strange. The little I know of them. Don't they? Yeah. I was smiling for them for the whole time. Oh, my oh God. I smiled through this whole movie. I thought that was a really brilliant way of filming or doing a scene. You know? Mm. What do you guys think about it? I love that scene as well. And you can go to this cafe. It exists. You can have your moment. Yeah, we'll put that in. It's in the show notes as well. But like, yeah, yeah like I just love the um, I love the method of revealing vulnerability um, mm. by by mm. The, the remove, the the fake remove of having a conversation with somebody mm. else. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I don't know. Would you do that in real life? I can't imagine doing it in real life, but I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, it just it seems it's another one of those times where they seem just like so bold in in almost an unrealistic way but it's still you know it still works hmm. and they're, they're just they're so eloquent i don't know i just i feel like i would not be able to say the smart and clever and sweet things that they say in real life i would be much more of a dork well they did have a script <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah too bad too bad life does not have one <laughs> That's an Ani song. Life is a B movie. It's stupid and it's strange. And there you go. So, <laughs> wow, you're really bringing in all poem. the song quotes. Oh, wow. I got it. I got it. <laughs> yeah. A directionless poem and the dialogue is lame. There. See, that's real life. Thanks, Ani. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> I, that's, a very, that's a very Gen X touch to bring in Ani DeFranco, by the way. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yay. Oh, and then... um. Yeah. Anything more about that scene? Do we want to say Cafe Spurl, like you mentioned, you can visit founded in 1880. We'll put it in the show notes. Beautiful ambiance. It looks like beautiful um, 
scenery mm-hmm. or uh, furniture design, etc. And apparently you can eat good things too, but yeah. <laughs> Anything else about the scene though? Or But Jen, would you do that phone game? Because you were saying earlier that you just kind of <sighs> go for it. You just put I've, things out there. Would I you put do that? things out there, but that's the thing. I probably wouldn't need the phone game to do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if other people would, would be into that phone game, you know, like it feels like the sort of thing I would suggest to someone to be like, I don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> can, like, can you imagine you just like met some guy like, let's, let's do this phone game. Bring, bring. And like, and like, and the guy's like, what are, are you crazy? <laughs> I think, Maybe, I think that Celine and Jesse are past that point though. They've yeah, already, yeah, they've already yeah, said right. yes to so much. Like the yeah. phone game is, is minor. <laughs> right. I can see that. So after, like, um, we're skipping some scenes in the movie, but the next scene I have down is the park scene. So they they have gotten, like, they've convinced a bar owner to give them a bottle of wine and some wine glasses, and supposedly Jesse's going to send him money for it later. I hope he did. <laughs> and um, then and you see them in the park, and they've just finished drinking their wine, and they're lying on their backs in the grass. It's all, like, shot from above. And I notice it's a full moon, so it's, like, the mm-hmm. whole romantic, like, thing is all there and um and then they start the subject of whether they should sleep together comes up and whether they're going to see each other again which they talked about previously but yeah it's very tense tense scene and and Celine's like I don't want to be this great story of like you met a French girl on the train and you fucked her (laughs) (laughs) and like and he's like but I want to see you again and and I love this quote this quote really did stick with me even when I first saw the movie Jesse says listen if somebody gave me the choice right now of to never see you again or to marry you, all right, I would marry you, all right? And maybe that's a lot of romantic bullshit, but people have gotten married for a lot less. And the reason I say I remember this quote is because I actually used this as a litmus test at times in my 20s. Like if I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay with someone, I'd be like, well, if I had to never see them again or marry them, which would it be? <laughs> I'm pretty sure a couple <laughs> of my breakups got decided by that or well, staying together with. Yeah. Because yeah. like I'm mm-hmm. like, well, it's, it's worth asking. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Am I, am I nuts to use to have used that? No, <laughs> no, no. I I mean, why waste your time with somebody that you would just as soon not see again? I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a, if you can get yeah. to that, if you can get to that headspace and like answer the question, honestly, I just think most people can't answer that honestly all the time. Like, it's it's interesting, though. I like I like that as his sort of like. I don't think it's using as a line either. I get the feeling he really believes what he's saying. I never get like a sense of falseness from his character. Mm -hmm. Like even though some of the things he says are like way too smooth or way too good to be true. You know, I never see Jesse as like just full of shit. I agree. Yeah. And maybe that's, that's probably why I love these characters so much. I don't think either of them is, you know, bullshitting. They they just put it right out there. I love that. And I Mm -hmm. love this line too. I think it's, yeah, I think it is romantic, <laughs> but romantic, but true. I don't know. And then, um, yeah, you're kind of, you're left with the option to like, not know whether they slept together, but like, I always read it as they slept together. Like, how about you guys? I definitely always did too. Yeah. 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 She has, cause in the next scene, she has like a different hairstyle configuration and she's not wearing her little t-shirt under her slip dress anymore too. <laughs> so I don't know. But yeah, I like that they leave it like that they're not being I think it's better without a sex scene, though, at the same time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just went and skinny dipped at 4 a.m. And that part just <laughs> didn't make it into the film. Definitely. Definitely. So now we come to the the next morning. And uh, this is actually, to me, some of the most beautiful parts of the movie, in my opinion. 
Um, yeah, you wake, you get the the view they would have when they woke up of the sky and like hearing birds, and they're walking down this like little street, and the harp and a harpsichord music is playing. Which at first you don't know it's actually what they call diegetic mu- music, which is music that exists in the world of the film. They come upon this guy just practicing his harpsichord in his home, or probably, and it's and it's so romantic and beautiful, and and they're standing outside there and. I like this line. Jesse says, I'm going to take your picture, but then he doesn't take her picture. Literally. He takes it with his eyes, like just looks at her and she does the same thing. And there's no, you know, she's not like, Oh, don't you have a camera? No, they just both get it. Mm. Ah, so beautiful. And that's something that, you know, would be, wouldn't probably happen now. Like when people are just taking pictures with their phone in their pocket all the time, you know? hundred percent. Like you'd have like a Jesse and Celine, like posting their shit to Instagram, like constantly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I will say though, that even though I take pictures like all the time and every day of like everything the kids do, um, I'm, I definitely take tons and tons of pictures. I don't post them. I'm not, I don't, I'm not a big right. poster on social okay. media, but I like collect all these moments, you know, there are still some like extra special times that, where I don't even think about taking a picture or if I think about it, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to spoil this by taking a picture. Mm. So I think that there's like still like those carved out moments, at least for me. I don't know about you guys. I hope there are people in the younger generations that are like, you know, doing that. Like I, I probably just don't know enough people in their early twenties to take a good survey of that. Anyway. Yeah. And then, um, man, this, I just found out this morning. I was so interested in this. Like, um, there's the scene that you see in a lot of the posters where she's like lying on his lap, looking up at him and they're sitting mm-hmm. by the statue. I don't know what the statue is, but apparently it's in the balcony of the Alberti- Albertina Palais Museum. Um, there's this sitting by the statue and Jesse starts reciting a poem and he only starts with the first part. He says, the years shall run like rabbits. Mm-hmm. And he only says that line initially. And then he says this other part, all the clocks in the city begin to whir and chime. Oh, let not time deceive you. You cannot conquer time. In headaches and in worry, vaguely life leaks away. And time will have his fancy, tomorrow or today. So that's the part that actually gets in the movie. And obviously that's very meaningful in and of itself, right? This this notion of time going away and they're about to leave each other, etc. Mm-hmm. But what I found really interesting is this is what comes after the years shall run like rabbits. So it's like, the years shall run like rabbits, for in my arms I hold the flower of the ages and the first love of the world. So mm. he's reciting, like, so when, you're, when mm. you look at the whole poem, you can think to yourself, that's what he was thinking of, right? Mm. He said the year, he said the part, the years shall run like rabbits, but probably what made him think of that, the character, were the lines about holding this love, you know? Mm. Mm. I, yeah, and I found that out this morning because I decided to look up the poem. Mm. And it's a beautiful poem. I'll put a link to it. Yeah. That made me tear up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I love. Yes. Beautiful. But it's so interesting. It's built right into the film. The things that you say out loud and the things that you're thinking, you know, that Mm. inspire what you say Mm -hmm. out loud. Yeah. Mm. I I love that. Anyway. (laughs) um, Now we are back at the train station. Okay. So. They go to the train platform and they still don't have any plan for meeting again. Like they've kind of made a vow that they're not going to, but then like at the last minute, they're like, oh fuck, (laughs) this is ridiculous. (laughs) 
And I love that the first plan they make is like, Celine's like, well, we can meet again in five years. And he's like, five years. It's like, and she's like, oh, you're right. That's like a sociological experiment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because that's so true. And then they then they go to one year and then finally they're like six months and like they're going to meet from six months from last night at track nine at six o'clock at night, like very exact, but they won't exchange phone numbers or emails or whatever. Cause I think it's or addresses. Cause it's too depressing. And I'm like, really? Uh, uh, I would have, I would have that guy's phone number. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I know. I know. Killer. <laughs> do you guys like it? Do you guys like this? Like, uh, or Zoe, do you, how do you feel? <sighs> I think I think it's really romantic, but I don't I don't know if I could do that either. But yeah. I mean, it's just it's too it's it's a very specific sounding plan, but too many too many things could go wrong. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, we've had great conversations. Write me a damn letter. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean that's also romantic. Writing a letter is romantic. If we didn't want to do phone numbers, at least addresses. I think yeah, sounds right. reasonable. You could have an epistolary romance. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Letters are they, the best. And then they could write each other more questions and then they could have time to think about them and I wouldn't feel so stressed uh, out. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, Excellent. Yeah. And they have this like really passionate kiss and like like this very last minute she really has to get on the train. And apparently they actually did rehearse and time the scene so that she's getting onto an actual train that is actually going somewhere. No. Oh, wow. <laughs> So yes, Sophia, you have some idea probably doing film and theater, how difficult that would be to all get into place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say to that. Like, yeah. Um. And then, um, and then after they part, we see them on their own again. Um, she's on the train. He's walking, I guess, to the bus, to his plane. And then this, I love this. I love this touch. So they show all the spaces of the city that they had, talked in or existed in but without them there and that calls back to something that's in the next theme um the first theme i want to discuss of death and time um Mm. i don't i don't kind of i don't want i don't know how to get from here to there exactly that well i'll just reference it really quick so that you see all the spaces of the city they inhabited without them and that's kind of um, referencing this earlier thing with surat the painter but i didn't really see that that was referencing that until i read this article um by michael koreski which is called Transitory Figures, One Scene from Before Sunrise. And um, I'll put a link to that, obviously. And he, he's talking about kind of the themes of death and time in the movie. And one scene, the scene he references is when they are looking at the the flyer that's on a post for this Surratt exhibition. And Celine's talking about the paintings, like his human figures are always so transitory. And this was not a real art show that was going on at the time. So it was placed in the movie on purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just like, she's saying like the human figures almost appear to be dissolving. Like the landscapes are more real. And so to end the film with these like landscapes without the people that they have been transitory. I love it. It all just fucking came together for me. And he didn't even mention that in the, in the, in the article I would like to say. So (laughs) I came up with the part about how that's related, but I wouldn't have come up with it without his work. So I love how film analysis will feed on each other. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, the the larger article, though, is about how the, there's a theme of death and time in the movie. And um, the quote from the article, most 20-somethings think they'll live forever, but the one-night stroll through Vienna of young Celine and Jesse is marked by both the filmmakers and the characters' constant awareness that their time, both here and on Earth, is limited. 
And he just mentions how they talk about Jesse seeing his grandmother's ghost at the beginning of the movie, Celine's fear of flying and dying, the cemetery scene. And Jesse at one point mentions his friend who has a baby. And when the baby was born, the friend couldn't stop thinking he was seeing something which would someday die. And I was like, yeah, this really is very, a lot of death, like, like just sewn through the whole movie, which Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I would have noticed before. So I'm going to shut up now and anything, (laughs) anything Mm. you guys want to say about death or time or anything. I'm going to say, no, I have nothing more to add to that. I, I think I was more aware of those conversations this time than when I was, when I first saw it. Yeah. I guess I wonder if the death is on their mind so much because it is a time limited situation that they're in and Mm -hmm. they're in. And, and so the ending of it is like built into the beginning. And we sort of talked about this before, but I just wonder if like, because it is just this one, you know, evening that, that it's got this expiration date. Yeah. If that is kind of like a microcosm of how like, I don't know, we all have an expiration date. Definitely. I definitely think that's, yeah. (laughs) I think it naturally lends itself to thoughts of mortality. Yeah. And I I think a lot of times people won't form relationships because they're like, well, where could this go? Like, we're just going to have to like break up someday or part someday. But I like to think of it like, you never know when someone's going to die. And every relationship Mm -hmm. you ever get into, somebody's going to get hurt eventually because somebody's going to get sick or die or or leave each other. Yeah. Well, my husband is quite a bit older than me. And that was a that was a big question when we got mm. together. But my argument to him and I, I did have to like convince him to jump off the train with me. You know, I it was like, well, <laughs> there's there's no guarantees for anybody of any age yeah. that, that if we love each other, we just have to go for it and, and make what we can make in the time that we have. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, and that's, that. you reminded me now too of like, um, about people of different ages. I like the scene where Celine says she feels like an old woman about to die and her Mm -hmm. life is just memories. And then Jesse responds that he feels like a 13 year old boy pretending to be an adult. And I think that's interesting because it's like, you can be certain ages also, but have different conceptions of yourself. Like Mm, for sure. Is that relevant to your relationship in any way, Zoe, or do you both feel kind of like your ages? I don't. That's a great question. I don't really know what it means to feel an age, I guess. Okay. I guess I guess now that I'm in my 30s, I do feel like younger people seem super young to me in ways huh. that they didn't before. I, that's I think that's something that you said to me once in Portland and I was like aggravated, like whatever, you're not <laughs> oh, that really? much older. Yeah, I think that you made some comment about young people seeming young and I'm like whatever, like age Was is I re- just a was number. I referring to you at the time though or was I referring to people Possibly. who were even younger than both of us? I don't know. No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I think that I think that back in those days you were aware of our age difference. Okay. Cuz okay. I mean cuz it felt bigger back then. But I, I mean, always hang out with younger people so that doesn't sound like me. But I'll take your word for it though. <laughs> I mean, it was probably just a throwaway comment on yeah, your yeah. end, you know, that I just like took hard because <laughs> I was always wanting to be, um, wanting to seem older than I was. Okay, and so okay. now, now I feel like young people seem young, right? Like yeah. that makes sense to me. Um, but I also feel like life is bigger now and fuller now. And I forgot, I forget what my train of thought was there. Cause oh, I was okay. just trying to remember exactly You're what nursing you an said. ancient grudge. No, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I guess with even with my husband being so much older 
age has never felt it, it just isn't a thing it, it's just mm. like we're just i just like to engage with people as people yeah mm-hmm. i do know i you know? do understand the inner age thing though like i but but for me it changes all the time like i relate to both of them like i sometimes feel like celine's talking about like i just feel so old and like i've seen so many things and like i feel like I can relate to older people about to die and like looking back at your life. And then I also sometimes feel like Jesse where I'm like, I'm just pretending to be a grown up here. Like, especially right now when I'm not working and I'm like, I just like recently bought a used karaoke machine that had been used by like some kid who had grown out of it. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'll I'll still putz around and do like little kid things too. And, And I don't have children, but even when you have children, I think you can get into a child mindset too, where you're like engaging with children on their level. So yeah, I can feel all the toys. Just half the toys we bought for our daughter were for ourselves. <laughs> we're like, oh, <laughs> I want to play with that. <laughs> Toy stars. Yeah, legit. It's easy to get into that excited, uh, everything new mindset, I think, when you have kids. But it's it's not the only way to get there. Yeah. For sure. But I definitely feel like the pretending to be an adult thing, I don't know. <laughs> I kind of think people of all ages feel that way. I mean, there's sometimes when I wake up and I'm like, who allow, like, who, where's my permission slip for, I can just like, I can just take these small people. We can go wherever we want. We can buy ice. We had ice cream for dinner. Like I have days like that where I'm like, how am I allowed to do this? Where's my, (laughs) where's my permission slip for life? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's see. There's a lot to say about conflict. We could almost do an entire episode just on all the things they say about conflict. But are there any things that stick out to you guys about like different conflicts in the movie, like between men and women in relationships? (laughs) I wrote down one piece where they're really talking about, um, yeah, men versus women and that kind of thing. But they're they're holding hands and they're putting their arms around each other. And I I get a kick out of that where <laughs> I feel like my husband and I have had those conversations where we're like, men do this and women do that, or or you do this and you do that, but we're like, you know, holding hands and hugging mm. and touching, you know what I mean? And I don't know. It's like, I think those arguments, uh, maybe we don't care in the long run. We just like to get each other's goat. For me, that was one of the less relatable things when they started talking about like men are like this, women are like that. And I think it's because like... um I think, and I don't know, but I think I don't sometimes act like women are supposed to act sometimes in relationships. And Mm. my husband, I think definitely doesn't act like a stereotypical man. Like a lot of his friends tend to be women. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, he doesn't identify with a lot of like man things. There are a couple Mm of things he does that I'm like, that's like a man, like, you know, yeah, but, but like not liking to shop. Right. Or something like that. But like, other than that, like we haven't really had those conversations, but I think they are real conflicts that people definitely have. Like, I think I've always just gone for guys who were very not stereotypical man, like maybe. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you relate to these themes of like man versus woman, Zoe, or. I think it's, for me, it's harder like having kids because they're physically dependent on you. And it's like, for me, that was kind of like a, wow, I really can't escape being a woman. Ah, okay. Yeah. I I mean, I don't, escape is the wrong Mm -hmm. word, but it's like, it just highlighted like some of those things like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I am a nurturer because I physically have to nurture Mm -hmm. this being, you know, whether or not that's like my personality or how I interact with everybody else on this earth you know what i mean yeah that's um, interesting 
And there were certain things that like I w- I found more difficult to do having small people like needing my actual body, right? Mm-hmm. right. So that mm-hmm. Kurt would have to step into that role. And it was a little bit of like a, wow, this is how that is almost like I could step outside of it and say, this is how that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that it's had a lasting impact on how we relate as people. Sure. If, mm-hmm. that, if that makes sense. Because he's also not a like that he does he's not like a stereotype either but who i mean who really is a stereotype i think well i met a few people who meet the stereotypes i guess i guess i guess guess. you could go to some sports bars and probably find them but i don't know that's That's, true that's greg's nightmare right there he's like (laughs) a guy's night watching a sporting event with uh, he's like i he would rather not (laughs) he's like that's horrifying to him greg has always had Friends who are girls and that he's yeah. closer with than yeah, yeah, same. So like the, they're not even thinking about childbirth or anything at this point though. They, he's Jesse's like bringing up this thing where like um, men are like sort of designed to like you know sleep with lots of women or something. Mm-hmm. He brings mm-hmm. up this island idea that there's an island with one man and ninety nine women. It would work out better biologically because you'd get ninety nine pregnant women, right? And if you only had one woman and ninety nine men, there's only one opportunity to you know have a child or something. And I kind of roll my eyes at that even still. Yeah, and I, and I kind of like part of Celine's response, like not. Not the whole response, but I like the part where she said the guys would probably all kill each other because they'd be trying to like fuck the one woman. <laughs> and then and then but but then she says on the island of women, they would end up killing the guy or eating the guy right. after he impregnated them. And I'm like, mm, that takes it too far for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's just silly. I think it's a silly conversation because again, this is the one where they're still holding hands. Yeah. And he's got, she puts his arm around her. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, but, but remember, Celine also brings up, you're lucky that we don't kill you after mating with you. And then she also right. brings up that she'd written a short story about killing her boyfriend. So there is this undertone of like, hmm. Like, <laughs> but then like, she also says, like, I mean, she comes off as this woman who like hates men, but she's like, no, really, truly, I, I'm, I'm a softy. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't but know. I think she has more of an edge to her than I do on that level. I do think that. I yeah. Same here. I really do love men for who they are. Yeah. They don't have to be like not not man man, you know. Maybe not stereotype man, but I do like men. <laughs> <Stereotype>. Right. <laughs> Uh, 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 uh. I love that as a title I mean, I, for something. I want to use that as a title for something. I don't know what stereotype. Like it, it had it was like it had caps when I said it just there. Yeah. Stereotype man. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Okay. So yeah, I don't know. Do we want to say more about conflict or men versus women? Like they stop talking no. about it in the movie. They're like, women right. and men just keep having this conversation over and over. Let's drop it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like kind of fruitless. I don't know. So let's Hmm. go back. Let's go on. I mean, okay. So one thing I did want to touch on really quick is just there's the idea that comes up again, again, and again, and again in the movie of the ideal versus the real. And like, um, Celine tells Jesse a story about how her grandma spent her whole life dreaming about another man she was in love with. And Jesse said it was better not to be with that man. If she'd gotten to know him, he would have disappointed her. And, um, and then he had mentioned in the train, right. Where he's like, if you follow me, you'll never have to wonder when you're married, like whether you could have had something better. Cause I'll bore you or something. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if he really believes these things, but it seems like maybe he thinks that we make romantic projections and then people disappoint us in the end. 
And then I like Celine's response where she's like, I'm the opposite. I think I could really fall in love when she knows everything about someone. I, I don't know. I don't know what I think about it, where I come down on this, but I like that there's the interplay of those two ideas. Mm. I think those are Jesse's worries and his concerns that he's going to be found lacking and boring and that there'll be regret that somebody chose to spend their life with him or something. Because I think he, he says it. If I had to choose now, if someone gave me the choice of, you know, never seeing you again or marrying you, I would marry you. And people have gotten married for a lot less. Like, I mean, what, like, lesser thing is he worried about and fearing that he's gonna like live up to someone's disappointments or something like that does that make sense like i don't think he truly truly believes it i think he's just afraid of that okay that's my two cents that sounds that resonates i also think you can't really love somebody until they disappoint you and that Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like that that you see the things about them that you don't like and then you choose them anyway I do feel like I loved Lee like immediately, like although I'd known him on, you know, online on Live Journal, but but I I felt such a pull to him that felt like supernatural actually. Like it didn't feel just even physical. It felt like super like like something had intervened. Sure. And I, Lo- and I, love was touching I, souls. Your souls but, were in <laughs> Yeah, like there was a communication underneath the real sort of, mm. but um but at no, the same I, time, I do know what you're saying. Like, and I don't feel like I'm really friends with someone necessarily either until we've had a fight. So, Sophia, I don't know if mm-hmm. we're friends yet because we haven't had a fight. <laughs> I can't. We're, we're, due, we're due for a fight. Zoe and I have definitely had a fight okay. before. So, okay. yeah. We can be. Yeah. I don't do that. I don't really fight with my friends. Um, I've lived. I feel like I've had enough fights with my immediate family. Like, my friend world is the opposite of that. They're, okay. they're the. So. To me, we're good. But well, if I'm just, you want I'm, willing, fight, I'm willing to have one in the future. Bring it. Okay. It could be a, a minor conflict over a palm reader. I'll just throw that possibility. Okay. Out okay. There. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. All right. We'll work on so it. So you can plan for that. But no, I, I totally, I totally hear what you're saying, Jen, and I think that that is real too. So, so I don't know. But yeah, but I, 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 think, I think yeah, being able to know a whole person and they'd be disappointed is important for sure. And people, yeah, I, I, I definitely mean it in more of like a knowing a whole person kind of yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, who's to say other people don't have experiences they view as supernatural, and then that person, they one bad thing happens and they don't love them anymore. So I haven't had that experience, but maybe someone has. So yeah, or even if you're you're pulled together in a supernatural kind of way, like maybe it's still important to like fully accept the whole person or get to mm-hmm. know the whole person. Like that might be like the initial spark, the initial pull, yeah. but it still can, needs to keep going. I don't know. Yeah. Can you pass the test of reality? <laughs> so um, do you guys want to say anything more about the film? Because we're getting into where we're going to talk about the travel locations and double feature ideas. But any final thoughts you want to put in before we head there? I just want just that I'm still in, endeared to this film. Yeah. From from. 17 to now. Yay. That makes me I would happy. say that it has deepened considerably for me watching it now to where it was mm-hmm. when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like Julie Delpy a lot now. I love her actually. I can't wait to talk about her on the next episode actually. Cool. Any final thoughts from you, Zoe? Oh, I'm just really glad that I watched it again. So thanks for encouraging me to do that. Cause I, nice. 
I have such a long list of movies that I want to see that going back to see one, you know, to watch one again that I have recently seen almost never happens, but <laughs> it, yeah, it was a good experience and, and it is, it is so deep and rich that it was worth seeing even recently, you know, even though I'd seen it recently. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. So I'm, I'm really quick. I'm going to run list off a couple of the Vienna locations um, that we were in the film, but I didn't mention previously, and they might be places you, you might include on an itinerary. And then Sophia has got a few, she's going to run past you too. So they take, they, they briefly go to this place called Maria Theresian Platz, and it's located, it has like a lot of statues and it's located by the natural history museum and the Kunsthistorische Museum, which is the art history, like historical art museum. And that museum would be number one on my itinerary probably because like I can't even list all the great painters they had there. So many great painters, Tintoretto, Albrecht Durer, Peter Bruegel, the elder, Vermeer, Rembrandt. It just goes on and on. In addition, they have an Egyptian, Greek and Roman collection there. Just looked fantastic. So I would definitely go to the Kunsthistorische Museum if I were in Vienna. And they visit two different churches, which I didn't really do a lot of research on them. So I'll just list them in the show notes. Um, but one of them is one of the the exterior church is in the third man. And there are a couple other like just random streets and alleyways from the third man. I think maybe Linklater is interested in Orson Welles, who's in the third man, because he did a movie about like about Orson Welles later in his career. So that might mm. be why, but I'm not sure. Just one other thing, they're playing pinball in the cafe. It's the Arena Club Cafe, which is still open. It's like not in the city center, but like you can still go and see shows there, apparently. So that's pretty cool. And yeah, cool. yeah, that's, a, that's what I had for some other sites in the movie. And I would obviously go to the Ferris wheel too. And some of the other places they went yeah, to. Yeah, I totally go to the Ferris wheel. All right. It's all you, Sophia. Tell us some other sure, sites. I would been. go to a, I would like to see some Klimt while I was in Vienna. Um, and we, I found a link that has um, several museums that have different pieces you know different works and why not check out something mozart because that's where mozart lived and whatnot and oh as i was looking up these other things um a freud museum and like walking to or like i don't care about freud Mm -hmm. but if you do hey while you're in vienna he has spent time there so there's things to see for those I, I just I want to say I would icons. totally go to the Klimt Museum too because like just the nature of his art it seems like it would be so much more beautiful to see that art in person like there's oh, definitely yeah. some artists where seeing their canvas is worth it you know and I think yes. he'd definitely be one of them yeah yeah totally uh, and if we have time um, you can do a day trip to Salzburg it's about two to three hour train ride depending and i got to go i got to spend some time in salzburg and i had a lot of fun i did not go to mozart's birthplace because i focused all my time on the sound of music tour (laughs) and yes friends it was fantastic (laughs) and you must do so there you do that's all i have to say that sounds great that sounds Mm -hmm. awesome and zoe just checking have you ever been to austria i'm just curious like i don't know i have i have not no well, I got to say, this is like, of all the, Sophia, you said you were having a hard time with the travel series. It's giving you wanderlust. This is the worst it's been for me. Okay. Cause Vienna really was bad. like, Vienna was like the, the place in Europe that was like my fourth choice. We only went to three places and then like Vienna was the place where I was like, almost like, uh, uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> so I got to go. I got to go. It has well, to Well, I also saw like tour guide things for like all the ca- v- Viennese coffee friends go to all the coffee shops and drink all the yummy coffee and have all the little cakes. It's like my favorite. Yeah. So Coffee and cakes. I'm, I'm, I'm there for that as well. It sounds good to me. 
And okay, we only have one person who hasn't seen the sequels. So Zoe, um, how much do you know about the sequels? I I know I know enough spoilers that I can't answer this question. Oh, okay, you can't answer it in a purely. Yeah, way. Do, no, do, I know I know it too much. Okay, so I'm just going to ask the question then of everybody. The first time you saw the movie, did you assume that they would meet up again or not? I mean, I hoped they did. I wanted them to. So that w- that's all I just dreamt about them meeting up again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I knew ahead. that there were sequels, so I knew that they, <laughs> they must. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, um, well, I mean, the sequels could be like them being around together, like some other way too. So I guess yeah. that's true. Well, so yeah. I assumed that they met up in the sequels. Yes. Yeah. I so I, I always assumed that they would keep their date and meet in six months. So that was where I was definitely an idealist. So yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. 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 Linkletter yeah. said in some interview that it's kind of a litmus test for whether you're a romantic or not, whether you think <laughs> they get together. And Linkletter said that all th- like him, Delby and Hawk all thought they would get together again, but he met a lot of people who was like, Oh no, no, they'll never meet up. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So now we're going to get to our double feature recommendations and, um, Obviously, you should watch also the sequels. So that would be the ideal double feature, triple feature would be watch all the movies together, right? But uh, aside from that, if you've already seen the sequels, you just want to watch something different. Um, my, oh, and so this is the way we do it. We do it. Each of us lists one and then we move on to the next person. Okay. Okay. So my um, my first double feature recommendation is Slacker, the 1990 um, Richard Linklater film. You can rent it on some platforms, but it's also on YouTube right now in its entirety. I don't know how long that'll last, but it might be up for a while. And the reason I recommend it is it has a lot of the same philosophical meanderings of Before Sunrise. And there's notions of different time streams coming up in the movie and you just get to see these like the origins of link ladder and these like funky Austin, Texas, like personalities in this movie. And I know you guys both have tried to watch it before it stopped. I think you have to be in like the right mindset kind of like, like that you're just going to watch this meandering somewhat plotless thing and just watching a bunch of weird characters and getting, but to me it's like such pure essence of nineties. Like I love it. And I love the weird characters in the movie. Yeah. I, I loved it when it came out. I still like it a lot. Yeah. That's my first. My first uh, recommendation is in, so this is kind of last time Jen did a great like year by year <laughs> recommendation. It was really awesome. And this time I kind of did by accident and it worked out well. So I say singles, which came out in 1992 directed by Cameron Crow. Uh, that is like, fantastic i think it takes place in seattle and is the epitome of grunge i think pearl jam is even in it as like you know a band and the coffee scene and oh man i love that film for that whole gen x vibe fantastic right on and my first recommendation is boyhood which we talked about a little bit before it's richard linkletter's 2014 film and i picked it not really intending to pick another of his films, but just because I think that the way that they both play with time would be really interesting to compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would see, I see that. And then I picked the third man as my second recommendation. It's a 1949 classic black and white noir film set in Vienna. And like, 
I just I like I like the idea of having another film where you see a lot of Vienna and it's it's also a classic film that everybody should see at least once in their life. Um, the director is Carol Reed and one of the stars is Orson Welles. And there's this like fi- fantastic iconic scene that's set on the same Ferris wheel. And mm. yeah, it's just definitely worth your time. Like I saw it as first as a film student when I went back to college the second time. And, a, and I don't think I would have seen it on my own. I had to be kind of forced, but I'm glad I was forced to watch it. So yeah. Uh, in 1993, Linklater came out with Dazed and Confused, and I just love it for its, like, it, it, teenagers in the 70s, so it's not a Gen X, like, story. But we were obsessed with the 70s in, the, in Gen X, though, so it is still I, a I, Gen X true, Right. I, I think it's great. So just another Linklater vibe. Yeah. Dazed and Confused. Mm-hmm. Oh, everybody loved that film when it came out. Everybody but me, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's still very Gen X, I think, Sophia. All right, okay. And so my second pick, this popped into my head while I was rewatching this movie, was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, oh, I love 2004. Um, because, well, there's like a meeting at a train station element. Oh. There's like a there's like a beginning and ending of a relationship element. There's a like, you know, those moments that make up uh, love element. That's yeah. why that popped into my mind. Dude, mm-hmm. when you explain it, it's like, yes, obviously. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good one. Jen, okay, what you got? Oh, like, see, I've just got one more, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I watched this one because of you, Sophia, because you had brought it up in the, the outline here. And Already Tomorrow in Hong Kong was in 2015 film di- written and directed by Emily Tang. And I feel like Maybe it's referential to Before Sunrise, maybe not. I don't think it's as good a film as Before Sunrise, but I think it's maybe as close as you can get to like a similar story of two people meeting, uh, spending a lot of time walking around talking together and like gradually developing a relationship. But it's like in the context of like today's kind of younger people. And it's very different in flavor as a result. These like kind of ambitious people um, who already have kind of like careers. And so they're not really like flakily talking about philosophy and shit, which I love. Don't, don't, (laughs) don't, flaky is not an insult here. It's just what I think other people might think. They're just, they're talking about more real life stuff and like, but they, but they do have interesting conversations more as the movie goes on. At the beginning, I think I was watching it out of duty, but towards the middle, I started getting really into it. And it also has an ambiguous ending. So mm-hmm. don't expect to be satisfied. <laughs> but yeah. I, you're right. Totally. I totally, everything you said. What do you think about how the use of like cell phone and Facebook and all that was played in that? I think they used it less than I would actually expect those people to use it in reality. Okay. And one of the things they have her cell phone be kind of like not getting a good connection. Like it's uh-huh. like, that's one of the plot points they have to use for these people. To, Cause she was going to use her maps. Right. And only cause right. her map isn't connecting. Does she even meet this guy? Right. So now they have to right. constantly be like um, handicapping people's like, like technology in order to have plots. Same thing with mm. horror movies. You always have to like make some stupid thing happen with their cell phone for horror movies to work anymore. Fan interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, I uh, also recommended we talked about it was Reality Bites. Um, oh, my favorite. One of my favorites. Oh, no, can we just talk about that? Can we watch that one and do yeah. it? Yeah. Gen it? X. Okay, we're gonna, we're, we are doing a Gen X series. I don't know when it's happening, but we will do it. Yeah. I'm, ex- I'm excited about that. Um, and then for um, just for shout outs for Austria, you should watch Mozart and um, The Sound of Music. So. <laughs> having nothing to do with Gen X-y kind of vibes, but for uh, Austria. Nice. 
And then I think you didn't have any more, Zoe, unless you came up with some in the interim somehow. But no, that's that fine. was it for me. You picked two really good ones, so really good. So I guess we've come to the end. And I just really, Zoe, I want to thank you for giving us so much of your time today, for joining us. Again, um, you can find Zoe's work, monadnockunderground.com, which is in the show notes. And so seek that out. See if you want to submit to her, you know, uh, what would you call it? Newspaper, anthology, website? We we call it a, a journal of thought and spirit. Ah, Ooh, I love it. I like it. Yep. Thanks. Cool. And thank so you nice for having meet- me on. Yeah. Oh, nice to meet you too. This has so been nice such great fun. Yeah. totally thank you yay and uh everyone thanks for listening thanks for being a part of it please remember to rate and review and subscribe to every rom-com on apple podcasts and don't forget to join us next week or thereabouts because sometimes we're a little late when we'll be continuing the before series in paris with before sunset talk to y'all later bye